Oh, God. You said astral project. I thought of Star Wars, especially since it's May. So I'll yeah. tell you something. This is a tangent, but it's all right. So um, I, I'm a nerd, right? So I got a, uh, I got this audio Bible because I try to like, when I'm going to sleep, I want to have like the Bible playing. And then when I wake up, it's like the first thing I hear, right? So I'll either do my devotions when I go to bed or when I'm waking up, regardless. All right. The point is, you pick out the audio Bible, it's obviously somebody reading the Bible to you. Right. Well, I see, hey, there's one with James Earl Jones. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Because I remember when I took my voice addiction glasses in college, they were talking about like the mechanisms of talking, like, how, and if you need me to do this, like on the actual podcast or whatever, I just realized what I'm doing to you. Sorry. But anyway, oh, you're so they're, good. Talking about, they're talking about the mechanisms of talking, how you shape your mouth to form words and how, and so that not only helps with clarity, but it also makes talking a little bit let um a little bit more effortless so you can do it for a long time right so anyway so the example the teacher used a lot was james earl jones she said you know he had a speech impediment he was studying so he started doing these voice exercises and now he's got like one of the most recognizable voices in uh cinema and that's been for decades right so anytime i see james earl jones saying something you know it's like he's talking or whatever i'm like oh yeah cool so i jump in all right, so here's what actually happened. So I put the stuff on, I go to sleep, and I dreamt of Star Wars like the entire time I was asleep. I was just dreaming about Star Wars, right? <laughs> and I wake up, and I wake up just like so. The so it's the New Testament, it's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <laughs> so I wake up as he's saying Luke, <laughs> and I was like, I just had Darth Vader. <laughs> That's crazy too, because like you were talking about the way that he uses his mouth to form words. Yeah. And uh, you can't even see Darth Vader's mouth move. Exactly. Because it's, <laughs> he's not even, he's not the person in the, in the suit. suit, in the suit. Yeah. It's somebody, it's uh, David Prowse. Originally David Prowse. I don't know who the new guy is, but it was David Prowse. And then James Earl Jones is the voice. Yeah. And then David, what's messed up is poor David Prowse. They didn't tell him because they wanted him to act naturally, you know, like to give all to the role. So they never told him that they weren't using his voice. So he didn't find out. So he's like saying all the lines and everything because he's got to have the gestures and all that. So he's doing everything and doesn't find out that they're using James Earl Jones until he watches the movie. That's that's kind of terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's that's one of the many awful things that George Lucas has done for the Star Wars franchise. There you go. And it's like so. I mean, not it worked out because he actually became like a cult favorite. Oh yeah, kind of like the guy who uh, played the Predator. He's got no speaking lines, but everybody's like, anytime he's at a at a convention, they're like, everybody's like trying to get pictures with him or whatever. Yeah. Same thing with the guy, the first guy to play Chewbacca. I mean, what are his speaking lines? You know, or whatever. And <laughs> you know, it's like he doesn't have speaking lines. But anytime you know, he's passed away as well. But you know, anytime people would see him, they immediately, hey, I want to take pictures with him because he was Chewbacca, you know? Yeah. So, so like this, all these guys, the guy who played Boba Fett originally, he's like a cult hero at conventions uh, because, uh, you know, you never see his face and you only hear, I think, him talk maybe three times. He's worth a lot of money to me. He's no good to me, dad. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think, and then there's the nose disintegrations. He doesn't even talk. So, yeah, he's got, like, very few lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but the guy's a cult hero until, you know, so anyway. All I mean, right, also, Bo Boba Fett's also just really cool. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's they always said, uh, the, the bad guys are the coolest to me. They didn't even plan because, like, so when they were, I watched the thing on Disney where they were talking about Boba Fett coming out and how they didn't 
he was actually was one of the first people that they took to like the parade when they were first bringing Star Wars out and everybody wanted to take pictures with Boba Fett. And they're like, who is, you know, like, we don't even plan on doing anything with him, but everybody wanted to take pictures with Boba Fett, not with Luke or anybody else. So they're like, so, you know, they just said, well, we got to do something with this. But it wasn't until, I mean, I guess he was in the the, the holiday special. That was like his actual first appearance. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Most people haven't because it's not very good. But uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a cartoon. If you have Disney Plus, you can watch it. Yeah, uh, it's you know and then uh but the thing is that for years people say oh holiday special let's just ignore it well now that they did the book of boba fett and certain lines that he said in book of boba fett made the holiday special canon so now you know how star wars is all about canon so now it's like now you got to go back and watch the holiday special like don't expect to be dazzled and amazed it's not very (laughs) it's it's not even good as a cartoon (laughs) it's just but it's like oh okay if you're a completionist you got the holiday special you know you check that off your I don't know what kind of bucket that is, but your bucket list. Yeah, that's one of the things about Star Wars is there's so much media to consume now that like it's so daunting because I'd love to watch the entire Clone Wars series so I could understand like the Bad Batch better. But yeah. man, there's like what, like six seasons of uh, Clone Wars? Like it, it's it's insane. So, so I just I just kind of rewatch all the stuff that I've already watched. <laughs> so like what I do, man, is like um it's kind of like I did that with my son because he hadn't ever seen all of it. And so um, before the Mandalorian, we went back and we watched all of the episodes that had to do with Mandalorians. So he'd understand. Right. Then before the um, Bad Batch, we went back and we watched like some of the pivotal things, right? But that's when we rewatched most of it. And then with the Boba Fett thing, we had already watched most of the Mandalorian stuff, but we went and we rewatched the episode specifically with Boba Fett. So it, um, it's kind of like, so when I, when I say that we watched all the episodes with the Mandalorian, you know, regarding Mandalorians, when we were watching for the sake of understanding Bad Batch, we skipped the episodes we had already seen. Right. And then when the thing with Boba Fett, we went back and we watched just the Boba Fett episodes. So you can kind of chop it up depending on why you're watching it. So if you want to watch stuff that has to do with like Obi-Wan's coming out, you want to watch that? Well, then you watch it. I mean, you can skip the episodes where Obi-Wan's not in it. Yeah. You're just trying to understand the character, you know? So that's really how I did it. I ended up, you know, originally I watched all of it, but it's, it's, it's dense, man. It's like there's episodes where it's just like, you feel like nothing's happening. Yeah. Why am I watching this? That's so that's what I did. Um, I'm a, I watch a lot of anime and, uh, I wanted to watch all of Naruto, but I'm not going to watch all of the Naruto filler. So I just looked up Naruto canon. Like what's important. Yeah. yeah. And so I would skip around like, and sometimes it would be like 20 episodes I'd skip, but there's like 500 episodes of the second series. So I was like, right. this just kind of helps me out in, you know, in getting to the end. Cause I don't, I don't care about a lot yeah. of the filler. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. And then the only thing I thought was a monkey wrench in that is if they do something now, that requires you to go back and watch some of the older episodes. Yeah. Which is kind of like what Marvel does. You know, they'll they'll pull out some more obscure things because they're looking for story ideas. And rather than write up an entire... I think what was wrong with movies in the past, as far as comic book movies, is people kept on trying to come up with these completely original stories. And the people who were doing it were not necessarily fans of the source material. And right. so... You know, you're kind of alienating people who are fans. It's your core audience. 
And you're also not attracting really the people, you know, new people to it because they're like, well, that's for kids. And so then what made Marvel better, the MCU movies better is because they started going back to the source material and adapting what was already there to make it work better for TV. I'm sorry, for, not for TV, but for movies. And then same thing they did with that with TV. And, you know, because there's certain storylines that don't work for a movie because they're too long, you know, but they would work great for like the Netflix shows. Right. So like they did the Netflix shows with Daredevil, they were able to do some elements of Shadowland and how he, you know, his um, he finds runs across his mother and that kind of thing. And because you had time to let it breathe, whereas for MCU stuff on TV, I mean, uh, in the movies, some of that stuff like the the Infinity Saga, that's e fairly easy. I don't say it's easy, but it's easier to condense down into, OK, we're going to do three movies. You yeah. Know and I mean? you do the big events for it. Right, because there's so many big, big battles and stuff that are part of that. You can say, hey, well, even if we have to do like seven movies or whatever, those big battles all matter. We can make them a movie. Whereas a lot of stuff in, in like what I was talking about with Daredevil, it's like some of them are just quiet moments. And it's like, do you really want to have a superhero movie where you just kind of, the characters are sitting there angsting over, you know, whether he should be doing this. You know, that's cool for a little bit, but you don't want to have the entire movie be that because you're going to lose your audience. It's better right. than that as a TV show. So, yeah. I yeah, that's how we end up on this. <laughs> Not uh, really that's, sure. That's kind of how I feel about the DC movies as far as like, I wish they had better continuity because like, or they would reuse characters because like the new Batman is really good. In my opinion, I know some people didn't like it, but I love the new Batman movie. And then like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is perfect. But in the new Batman, they pulled in someone else to play, you know, Joker. And I'm like, right. you had the perfect, the perfect opportunity right at your fingertips and you didn't take it. Right. So I haven't seen Batman yet. I am going to watch it. I did not want to watch it because as someone who's into um, both martial arts and uh, strength training. Uh, so I like lifting weights. I like martial arts. Right. Batman is like kind of like our superhero. Right. He's yeah. He lifts. He lifts weights. He's like a poster child for studying hard <laughs> and also not necessarily studying a curriculum, but being self-taught. So if yeah. he goes out, he seeks out the people who can teach him what he needs to know, but he's not, you know, he doesn't technically have like, it's like Reed Richards has degrees in this and that. Right. Bruce Wayne, and I realize I'm crossing universes, but Bruce Wayne doesn't necessarily have a degree in any one thing, but he's got expert level proficiency in multiple disciplines. So Bruce Wayne is more like, um, what's his name on Steve Jobs in that he started, you know, since he wasn't getting a degree, he was like, I just start studying the stuff I wanted to know. And so Bruce Wayne's also a genius, but you're never going to say, Oh, well, this is, you know, like you, you can't lay out a career path necessarily, which is why whenever he has a sidekick, it's basically an apprenticeship. Yeah. So, so it's with somebody coming to play that character. As soon as the person says, well, I don't want to lift weights because I think that's part of the problem with these superhero movies is people are focusing on, you know, bulking up. I'm like, you're not committed to the character because if you're going to go play, say, um, so I remember when De Niro played Al Capone and everybody was talking about how he got fat to play, you know, Al Capone later in life. Everybody was like, well, he's so committed to the role. He went ahead and allowed himself to get completely out of shape to play this role. Right. And I'm like, that's the same thing. If you're playing someone who is muscular, especially someone who has developed that physique through hard work, yeah. you and I both know how that changes you as a person, 
right? Yeah. How can you make me believe that you've had that journey if you don't, if you're not willing to do it? You don't understand yeah. the character yourself, right? And then also from a martial arts standpoint, I don't care how good you are. Even if I never take damage, the fact that I'm hitting somebody else is gonna bruise me, right? Right. And so you want me to believe that this 150 pound guy is having these fights over and over and over. I mean, just think like how many people Batman fights in one night. Oh my God, yeah. Right? And you expect me to believe that he then goes back and does it the same the, the same thing the next day, right? Yeah. Bruises or not, but he doesn't have any padding to help absorb damage. When an NFL running back can't handle that, if you like immediately what they say, if somebody's too small, man, you're too small. You got to bulk up because you won't be able to handle the impacts, right? Yeah. Okay. It's the, the muscular skeletal connection. It's what a, what's a Dan John called it armor building. Yeah. It's not just the fact that you look good because you also have to, you know, like he also says, you know, you don't want to look like Tarzan, but play like Jane. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the same thing. So when I saw it, I was like, okay, it's going to be hard for me to believe you as the character when I know that this is how you approached it. Now, on the other hand, I respect that more than Zachary Kinto, who just decided to put on a muscle suit, the rubber muscle suit, to play uh, Shazam. Yeah, they called him Oh, that Shazam. wasn't even his real body? Heck no. Oh, my God. See what I'm saying? I was like... That's upsetting, man, because I really like Shazam. It was very corny in a, in a fun way, you know? Yeah, so I'm like, if you're going to do that, then to me, what, you should, what they should have done is not made it uh like real you know what i mean they could have done like ghost in the shell type stuff yeah like that and then i'd that have been i'd have been fine with that you know what i mean because it's it is a different kind of movie but because i was like how is zachary quinto he's not a big not not zachary quinto uh he he played um spock right yeah, zachary quinto played spock i'm talking about uh his name maybe zachary levi i don't know i don't remember i remember he, he played he played chuck he played Chuck on some spy movie. Anyway, the guy who plays Shazam, <laughs> yeah. right? Anyway, he, I was like, how's he going to get big? Because he's actually a very, you know, a thin guy. You know? Yeah, and I'm Shazam like, is gigantic. Have, yeah, like, how's he supposed to get as big as, well, actually, technically bigger than Henry Cavill? This is going to oh, be, yeah. that's a lot, right? And I was like, that's going to, and I was like, how are they going to do that? And I saw the, the shooting schedule. I said, there's no way, man. And then, um, and it, like with Chris Hemsworth, even though he used a little bit of CGI himself, they um, they added to what he had built. He's still gigantic, and he he's got still even a big bigger because he's going to be playing Hulk Hogan, isn't he? Oh wow, I did not know that. That's, I, I, that's cool. I heard something about it a while ago. I don't know how. I don't know if it's true, but I saw a picture of him, and he is man. I don't know if he's like seventies steroids big, but he's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, he's like. It's so funny because I can see, like, he doesn't really take himself seriously. And I love that about him because he's willing to go and say, okay, you know, cut my hair into a cul-de-sac so I can play Hulk Hogan. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't do that. Um, uh, but anyway, I have completely derailed you, dude. Uh, and I'm sorry. Oh, no, so, that's cool. This is why I don't plan out necessarily. Like, I have baseline questions and I see where everything else can go because I uh, love yeah. I love candid conversation. I feel like that's yeah, what yeah, people yeah. want to hear the most anyway. Cool, cool. All right. So, uh, so do you want me to tell people who I am? <laughs> I, yes, yes. Now that we're – let's see. How, I don't even know how far we are. Into that's it. hilarious. But, yes. <laughs> I've invaded your home and you don't know who I am. So, okay, wait, don't call 911. I'm safe. Hold on. Reasonably safe. Um, 
So uh, my name is John Greaves, and I am the founder of Garage Gym Life. Um, some people call us Garage Gym Life Media because we have a media component. We're basically a media company, but we also have uh, a little bit of merch, and we also have, um, uh, I guess it's like a li we're a lifestyle brand. So Garage Gym Life is the name of the company, and uh, I've been since 2017. I've been trying to promote home gym culture and all the things that go into home gym culture, uh, both on Instagram and on YouTube. We have a digital magazine and we also um, live stream strength sports like Strongman, which is where I met you and your wife. Yes. Um, and and uh, powerlifting. We've done highly games live streams, uh, grip uh, sport live streams. Um, and we do that on Vimeo. So we are across multiple platforms but basically it's all about promoting home gym culture. So there you go. That's my elevator speech. And that is a, an awesome, an awesome company to start an awesome business model to have uh, because it is definitely a growing community where people like, I mean, not even, I want to probably 10 years ago. I mean, no one would have even thought like, yeah, I'm going to throw a whole gym in my garage. It was, it was almost unheard of. Now it's so yeah. accessible that, you know, it's good to get ideas from other people and to have a, a brand attached to your lifestyle. Yeah. And the thing is, so I guess I could give some clarity. I, um, I started the brand in 2017, but I've been working out in a home gym for over 20 years. Oh, wow. And when I, yeah. Uh, so when I got into this, as you say, there really weren't a bunch of resources for how to do it. So my first job out of college was working at a gym. And then um, I kind of felt like I hit sort of a glass ceiling in that industry. So I was like, you know, I want to, I mean, I got bills to pay. So I switched and I started working at a Fortune 500 company. Well, I still wanted to work out because that was part of my life now. And I said, well, how can I do this? And I tried going to the gym, but it was real difficult because I've really never had a home gym. I mean, I've never had a public gym membership. Um, although I've been working out since 1993. I've never had a gym membership. First, I worked at a gym, so I didn't have to have a membership. And then when I left, I tried like with the day passes a little bit before I spent the money. And I said, I just can't do this. It just doesn't feel right. My schedule doesn't even make it convenient. So that's when I started. I went and I to a play it against sports and I grabbed two 70 pound dumbbells. And then I bought a wooden used step aerobic box from the gym that was my previous employer. And that was my, the start of my home gym. And, and I had all that stuff at the foot of my bed. And then, you know, fast forward to now I've got a full gym, you know, uh, I'm not going to say it's finished because we're never finished. We're always looking for new stuff. Never finished. There, you know? uh, and, and I mean, part of that's because you're training, I don't want to say goals, but like your interests sort of change and expand as you grow. Yeah. And you get exposed to more things. So then you're like, oh, well, I, I want this. I want, you know, you know, whatever. So you're constantly changing it because the idea of a home gym, one of the things that makes it superior, in my opinion, to a public gym is that you're custom tailoring it to yourself. If you just, I see people who get gyms, um, home gyms, and all they do is basically try to transplant the public gym to their house. Yeah. Which is, which is great. That's, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Uh, especially if you're into bodybuilding. But even there, I say you need to still tailor it a little bit. And what I mean by that is when I say they transplant it, it's like they'll go get um, 
like a public gym has contracts with uh, equipment companies, right? So that's why you go into some gyms and let's say the whole gym is full of life fitness, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've got a contract with life fitness uh, or maybe it's arsenal strength or something. All right. So the whole gym, all their machines or whatever is all provided by this company. But the thing is, you, uh, because of how our bodies are shaped, everybody's a little bit different. So the leverage on this tricep machine is going to be a little different for me and feel different to me than it is to you because we're not exactly the same. So you'll find that's why you see bodybuilders who go to public gyms have memberships at multiple gyms. And they'll go to this gym for upper, for chest, this gym for arms, this gym for legs, you know what I mean, like that. And it's because it's not because frivolous, it's because the machines at the the they found machines that work best for them. And so I like I, I got a buddy named Anthony DeAngelis, and he's been in a home gym uh, for it's in his basement in the, in a, um, Philadelphia, and he's been doing it for thirty years, thirty plus years. Well, he has been grabbing pieces of equipment from different companies for 30 years. He'll be at a gym, he'll say, oh, this is the perfect uh, you know, machine for lateral raises. And he goes and finds that machine. And I mean, some of this stuff is going back to like the 80s. He said, man, I've never found a machine that works as well as that. So he's there looking for that exact machine, finds it, buys it, gets it to his house, puts it in there, right? because he wants the exact experience. So whereas a public gym, there's a lot of uniformity. In a home gym, if you're gonna try to do that, you're gonna see that stuff is very eclectic. It's like, and it looks like, man, this is hodgepodge of stuff. Like, where's all this stuff coming from? Well, it's because I'm custom tailoring it to what I wanna do, you know, and I'm not, so at the moment, so let's say in that five-year time span, this is what I'm into. I need all the stuff that has to do with that. And even for your sport, strongman, you're going to find that uh, one log feels different on your wrist than another log. Yes. So if you just go and just say, oh, God, I need a log and you order it because this is the company you like, you're going to end up possibly not liking that log. Then you go to a competition, you're like, oh, man, that log actually felt a whole lot better. And because you're home gym on you, hey, where'd y'all get that log? Now you want to get rid of the log you had and replace it with this log you know yeah but then your wife might say well no 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 i like the other log so now you got to have two logs yeah <laughs> and that's how home gyms end up like that you know yeah and that's uh that's one of the things i don't know if you how much time you spend in kentucky um a little bit yeah davy mccann uh he has his equipment at fit for life in frankfurt okay they have the most i mean extensive amount of strongman equipment i've ever seen in my life i mean i'm talking like six seven different logs different car deadlift frames different frames to carry handles who's fell stones it's right. it's unreal and uh luckily i have been very fortunate in my experience with my home gym that the only thing i really wish i could change is like my yoke because I feel like every competition I go to, they have beefy yokes and yeah. I have a Titan yoke. You gotcha, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, what you were saying about conforming the gym to your specific need, and I feel especially with Strongman, uh, I'm not going to just buy a piece of Strongman equipment because I feel like lifting it. I'm going to buy a piece of Strongman equipment if 
a competition I'm going to has it, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And uh, you don't get that with commercial gems at all. It's just kind of like, this yeah. is the equipment that's there. This is what you get. Some are cool enough. Like I, I, I lifted at a powerlifting gym here for a little bit where a guy was doing strongman. He brought in some equipment, but he kept it chained up. Uh, so no one else could use it. And I was like, well, that, that kind of sucks. Cause that's what I wanted to do. And when we made the move to our house, that's when I was like, yeah, it, this isn't, this isn't for cars. This is, this is a gym. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. I mean, there's so much to go along with that. So for somebody who's listening to this, who doesn't do the sport of strongman, you have to understand that. Uh, and it, it's even like that in powerlifting. Okay. So the different implements, as we just said, feel different. So like we just did uh, a live stream of Relentless. We did the first ever Relentless Strongman competition that was in Nashville. And they had a, one of those Slater logs there, right? And I was talking to my, uh, my guy, Blake Harris. We're talking about it. And Blake actually owns a, a semi-private gym in Nashville. And we were talking about the log and he was saying, well, the way the log felt on his wrist was different than the other logs he's used. And I mean, Blake has competed in multiple places, right? So on the one hand, you want a log that feels good to you because if it doesn't feel good to you, you're not going to want to do it. And unless you practice, you're not going to get as good as your sport, right? Um, you won't be able to, it's not that you won't be strong, it's that you won't be able to express your strength effectively. Right. Right. But if your log is very comfortable for you and then you get to the competition and their log feels horrible, we might have just dropped your amount that you can log clean and press. Well, let's say you could probably Viper press it, but you might not be able to. I'm sorry, Viper clean it, but you may not be able to press it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what usually stops people. Think about how many times you see athletes able to clean it and then they can't press it. Right. You got to, you know, shift your grip and you can't press it. Well, it's not that they haven't been practicing the press part. Their log is different. All right. Now, obviously, back strength, all that other kind of stuff plays a role in it. But you know the weights of the implement before you ever get there. So I don't know if people have ever thought about, like, this guy's known how heavy this thing is going to be for the last three months. So... He knows you can't like say, oh, well, I'm, I would prefer, okay, I know y'all said one, you know, 200, but I prefer to do 195. No, you get there, either you can lift it or you can't, right? Right. So why would people show up able to clean it, but not press it? The answer is at home, they probably could press it. Yeah. They had a different implement. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I'm saying is like the behavior of the implements plays a huge role in it. And that's why I think if you compete in a sport, especially a sport like strongman, it is important, even if you have a home gym, to periodically travel to visit different yeah. things. Number one, compete, because you can touch a lot of things, but then also travel as much as you can, maybe once a month or something like that, because I know money's tight, just so you can touch other implements and see how they feel. If there's a seminar, don't say, oh, I know how to do this. Go to it, because what they have is going to feel different than what you have. And just the experience of manhandling, these um foreign objects as opposed to your home stuff is going to be beneficial for you as as an athlete in much the same way like when i was doing um when i was fighting uh you don't want to spar just at your gym 
if you can get if you can bring other people in to work with you from somewhere else that's good for you and good for them because you get used to the tendencies of the people you spar with and then you face some other dude who may not even be as good as the people you spar with but he's got completely different tails and twitches and you're kind of thrown off a little bit now you get to fight day and you're you know it's that's why like sometimes especially in the amateurs uh you got a 50 50 chance of the first round being a feeling out process yeah because i'm trying to understand and even in the pros i'm trying to see i'm doing things to see um so as a fighter you don't just do things sometimes you do things to make you do things so that you can do things <laughs> like right? a chess game yeah yeah like i may actually so i throw my jab you know if it hits you oh cool all right. But now what do I want to do with that? Did I throw that jab just to see what you were going to do? Did I throw that jab to get you used to me throwing the jab from that angle that way with that hand so that I can then throw a fake down the road a little bit and hit you with the um, a body, a liver or a spleen shot or a kick? Did I throw that jab so that um, I can middle of the fight, switch stances, and you're like, oh, like in a Princess Bride, I'm not left-handed. <laughs> you know? Oh I mean? man, that is a perfect. I I love that movie. That's my favorite. Like, I don't even want to call it a chick flick because it's so perfect. Man, that movie is the great one of the greatest movies of all time. Yes. You know what I mean? Rodents of a usual size. We could. I'd do a podcast <laughs> about just the Princess Bride and how that changed his life. I would do that. <laughs> I said, yeah, man. In today's episode, we're talking about why, as you wish. Next episode, we're gonna cover, uh, you know, uh, mind games with a Sicilian, uh, whatever. <laughs> that show is awesome. But you know, and so the point is that you're now you you have that library of things because you're used to seeing a bunch of things because your opponent is doing the same thing. He's doing stuff so that he can do stuff. He's doing stuff to make you do stuff so he can do stuff. Unless you don't do stuff, then he'll do something else. Yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. it's like, okay. And and then when you take it back into strength sports, it's like, well, if I get here, because there's strategy involved, I get here and I see how this log behaves. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, based upon how, what I know about this, all right, I'll tell you what, we're going to, this is where we're going to try to get some PRs. We're going to try to make up points here because when I played with the, let's say the, the wagon wheel, I wasn't as, it wasn't, I wasn't as sure, you know, I wasn't, I'm not going to do as well there. So basically I'm just going to try not to zero and make up my points over here on the log. And that way it'll even things out. Cause it's, you know, it's like NASCAR. As long as you stay steady with your points, you might lose a couple of events and still win yeah. or, play, or play second, you know? So that's how you also develop your strategy because you got to get used to, you know, hey, I know how I do on that Husafel versus this Husafel and, and so on and so forth. And so, sometimes, and the craziest thing, <clears throat> sometimes that different equipment actually works to your advantage because like I was training for, I think it was my third competition. It was my first competition that I had a coach. Uh, Anthony Pernice is, is my coach. Okay. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough. I, I made a trip up to Frankfurt, Kentucky uh, for my anniversary. Uh, and really it was just because me and my wife both agreed like, yeah, we want to, we want to live with our coaches. So um, I'd have been training on the Titan Husfeld stone, which is universally known as one of the worst Husfeld stones that you could ever run with. Um, and I found out that the 
stone that they're the Hoosville stone that Derek stone was running at his competition was going to be a little, a little bit more narrow. So I was able to get hands on at the fit for life gym and then go to competition. And I actually did better there than I did in training because it, the stone wasn't as hard to grip onto. So uh, you train with harder equipment in some cases, and it makes competition day a lot easier. Yes. But see, that's the thing is like, because you knew it, you could create a strategy, right? That's what I'm saying. So it's like, I mean, like, do you want to say, I mean, I, I love Rocky montages, but you notice that he didn't really, in a lot of them, he didn't really do a lot of sparring ever, you know, ever, yeah, man. He's oh, out there. God. He's chasing farm animals and, you know, sled dragging in the snow and, and yeah. that's great. And doing lunges with trees. Yeah. And that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, but, and it's very motivating, but when he gets to the fight, that's a reason why the dude gets beat up all the way through the fight yeah you know until his opponent basically gets tired <laughs> and then he wins you know that's that's, cool. that's that's good for getting your championship but it's not good for your dane bramage you know oh so that, my that's God. why his dane cerebellum has been knocked loose right so it's <laughs> like uh, i'm just like hey dude this you know cerebral cortex it is it's a little to the left of where it's supposed to be yeah so, <laughs> frontal load damage is a very real like, thing hey, <laughs> you know what i'm saying so um that's what i'm saying it's like you may there's a certain element of of toughness and and soul hardening that you get when you train with crappy equipment and i would say for somebody who just wants to be in general shape ready to meet whatever life hands them buy some crappy stuff and just you know and just use it yeah if you want to be an athlete who competes in a sport and you want to do well at it then you need to kind of be selective about the items that you purchase because you're spending. I know that it's like, well, I wanted to save money, but just think about what you're doing in strength sports. You are the one paying the money to enter this event. And even if you're not paying it, if you have a sponsor and they're paying for it, they're spending their hard earned money for you to go to this mm -hmm. event. That is not, you don't want to cheap out on the stuff that prepares you for the event because you're like, oh, well, I can't afford it. If you can't afford it, then you can't afford to compete. Right. All right. So you have to make some choices and say, all right, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get this other stuff. And I'm going to focus on the stuff that's going to make me better as a, as an athlete, because this is what I want to do. Like I said, if, and maybe there's a balance there because maybe I'll say, all right, this is use powerlifting. So let's say I'm going to be competing in USA powerlifting, right? If I want to do it at a high level, I need, I, I need an IPF spec. No, I'm sorry. If I want to compete in USA powerlifting, I need an IPF spec bar. Okay. Because even though they're not part of IPF, they're still using the same equipment, right? Right. So I need an IPF spec bar. Then if I want to compete at a high level, it can't just be any old IPF spec bar. I need a Lyco. And by the time you get to the point where you know you're going to like these high level competitions, you know, right? So you're like, okay, you got time to save your money to buy the Lyco. Right. Okay. And I mean, you could even sell your old bar because uh, it's not like, you know, it's not perishable. So you sell your old bar and get some of that money back. But I'm going to get an Lyco. I'm going to get a competition bench set up, not just lift out of my power rack because I'm now trying to be a competitive, high level competitive athlete. If I just want to compete in the occasional meet here and there, but it's in the USAPL, I'm still going to get an IPF spec bar. I'll try to find the one that is the most cost-effective for me, but I still got to meet the specifications because yeah. those bars behave differently than other bars. 
Same thing, if I'm going to compete in the USPA, then I'm going to get the bars as close as possible to what they use. For the most part, you're going to run into Texas power bars, Texas squat and deadlift bars on a IPF, on a, I'm sorry, USPA platform. And if you're going to go to the IPL, which is their worlds, then you're probably going to be, you want to throw some money at the Kabuki deadlift bar because it's behaves slightly different than the Kabuki I'm sorry, then you get the Kabuki deadlift bar because it behaves slightly different than the Texas deadlift bar. And you might want both because I was doing color commentary at uh, Drug Tested Worlds for the IPL and they unveiled the Kabuki deadlift bar. I got the video on my uh, YouTube. They unveiled that bar at that competition. And they said it is the most, it doesn't, it's not whippy, but it's responsive in a way that no other bar is. I said, well, how many of them you guys got here? And they're like, oh, two, one for each platform. Well, so you're telling me it's the only two like it in the world. Yeah. Okay. Um, that means nobody's trained with it. And it's not like anything they've ever trained with before. And you're telling me they're not even going to warm up with it. So how are they supposed to call their attempts? Yeah. Okay. I'm, so that what you just said is exactly what they said. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm uh. surprised. So as a, <laughs> as a side note, I will always support anything that Chris Duffin does. I love everything that he does. I mean, yeah. his book, his shoes. I'm, a, I'm actually, I'm a fan. I've his, got his yeah, book, Eagle and the Dragon. That's a it's a, such a fantastic book. Um, but I, I, I'd like to imagine that there's no way that he knew that that was going to happen with his bars because I feel like as a person who treats the human body like a machine and looks at it from an engineering perspective, I feel like he wouldn't have allowed that. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really knock Kabuki for it, but they had only two bars. Right. So I said it to the meet director. I said, look, why don't you, here's the reality. We are at, um, this is before the meet started. So I said, why not put one of the bars? You're not using them until deadlift anyway put one of the bars in the back and let people deadlift on it. Right. Yeah. So then each flight can deadlift with it. And there were only like maybe, uh, maybe three divisions a day or something like that. Yeah. Cause it was a three or four day event. So I'm like that way, everybody can play with it a little bit. Right. Because you just need to know how it, it's not like you got to do a billion sets. You just got to know how it works. Right. And I, there were a couple of people who I knew, we're home gym athletes. And I walked up to him and said, Hey, I'm just going to tell you right now, because they didn't do that. I said, here's what you need to do. I recognize that the meet is about to start in a few minutes. You need to go and play with that deadlift bar. Just throw a little bit of weight on it and just do some light tugging just to see how it feels before the meet starts, because you can use that to call your attempts, right? So maybe you can adjust your opener down a little bit because you're in powerlifting, you can't go down. So you're like, all right, I can adjust my opener down. And then when I do my opener, if it's real easy, at least I'm still on the board and I'm not in danger of bombing out. And so they, the guys, so everyone who I told that to did that and they all ended up having good meets. Whereas people who I hadn't, didn't have that conversation with, I could see some people like surprised when they're pulling their bar, like, Whoa, that's different. Right. Yeah. And I did an, I did an interview afterwards. I said, so, you know, what'd you like about it? I said, man, that bar dude, it was, whoo. And they're all like, well, I want to buy one now because I see how it acts. I like it, but I just wasn't ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, hey, that helped out with sales a little bit, I guess. But if you're doing it for the sake of the lifter, 
and to kind of increase prestige at your event to say, all right, we are the only event that's got this, you still, to me, order three, not two. And put yeah. one in the warm-up room. Yeah. And order of- four and put both two in the warm-up room, two on the platform. Yeah. And and I've, I've never done powerlifting. And part of the reason is because of the equipment specificity. Um, it is a very dialed in sport. Um, oh, yeah. But I would imagine with the deadlift bar, all you really need to know is that whip response. You know, what, where, where do I pull the slack out? How much does it whip up? A lot of mm-hmm. times all you need on there is like 315, you know, not a yeah. whole lot to make the bar bend at all. Yeah. And, and so for anybody who doesn't understand what we're talking about with the whip, um, there's a certain point. I know this is a podcast, so I'm going to try to be as descriptive as possible. <laughs> but there's a certain point with the bar when you pull it off the floor where if it's very elastic, it's going to take a little bit for the plates to break the surface tension of the floor. And so you'll see people in there when they're very, very strong and the plates are heavy, you see that the bar bends in the middle before it ever comes off the ground. Well, then there's a certain point as you're, you're coming up where the kind of the bar catches up to itself and the velocity keeps going, right? So when you stop at the top, there's a certain point when you get to the top, the you stopped, but the rest of the bar, the ends of the bar are still moving upward. And so when it gets up there, that whip can throw you off. Well, when I mean, and so in powerlifting, unlike in the sport of strongman, uh, you can't have up and down movement, right? So you have to be able to resist the whip. It's okay that the bar moves up and down. Your body can't rock back and forth because of the whip. Because the idea is that you've mastered this weight. You have it completely under control. So you stand up. And you have to be able to resist the whip so it doesn't pull you out of position, which would make the bar go up and down and be interpreted as a missed deadlift, even though you had the strength for it. All right. Well, if a bar is very stiff, you don't have to worry about that as much. It's harder to break it off the ground, but you can basically just yank. It's not going to have a lot of whip. But the people who like, you know, but that sucks because your deadlift just went down because it's harder to pull it off the floor. But then if it's got a lot of whip, and you're one of those lifters who's got a lot of velocity, like you drop down, grab the bar and stand up. Well, that's going to catch you at a certain point. Uh, and like, I didn't really start seeing that until I, I got over 500 pounds on the deadlift. And then the bar starts to like, you know, whoa, I can feel that. It's like, you could feel it wanting to yank you back down mm-hmm. and you have to be able to resist that. Right. Which is part of what all the core work is for in powerlifting. It's like, got to be able to resist that whip uh, of the bar. So I just say all that to say, that's why, yeah, you need to have specific equipment. But even with strongman, you're finding that strongman is moving away from the more, I call it spectator friendly stuff, where you're running with a refrigerator. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and it's more like, okay, this is a sport with standardized implements that you can, especially loadable, because smaller events can't afford to bring a boat to the event for you to pick up right right so they want to have a car deadlift frame they want to have a loadable circus dumbbell because of budget right and so those events uh and those implements are a little bit because they're more they're they're more um they're more like powerlifting implements than they are like with a strongman thing it was just like oh well what are we picking up today that plane over there we're gonna drag it Okay. I you know love I mean? that. Nobody weighed a plane. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, I mean, they kind of know what it caught, what it weighs because they asked the manufacturer, hey, how much this thing weighed it? And they just say, oh, it weighs about this. Right. Okay, cool. 
now let's go ahead we're gonna yank we're gonna drag the plane or we're gonna drag a, a tractor trailer or something like that and there they actually with a tractor trailer you know how much it weighs because they have to go on the load thing whenever they're taking loads yeah with them. they have the weight scales so you have a better way no of knowing that maybe a plane too they probably do something like that because uh, they have to know it for fuel for estimating fuel but i'm just saying that strongman's getting away from the stuff that just is awkward and hard to lift but people recognize it to stuff that's a little bit more standardized, especially for the sake of record keeping. Oh yeah. Right. That's becoming more and more important in, in, in that. Yeah. Sport. So you got to have standardized equipment and, you know, when they get to the point where they're using, you know, when they start making deals with equipment companies, like, okay, you're going to be the official supplier of this or that, then you're going to see an increase in the number of lifters buying those pieces of equipment from those companies because excuse me of what we just said you've got to know how to you know you got to be able to train with stuff that's going to make you successful on the platform because how are you going to break a record with something that you know the original record was set with this and now you just show up with your you know your titan fitness circus dumbbell but the original right. record was set with this other one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you'll get to that point. Cause do you want somebody, like you just said, some Husafel stones are easier than others. So now how do you feel? You set a record with a crappy, really hard Husafel stone. And some dude shows up at another competition. It's an easy one. He breaks your record. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where like the, there became, there, there, there becomes the debate uh, after the elephant bar was unveiled okay, so are we going to start using this in the sport of strongman as a, as a record-breaking deadlift? And a bunch of people are like, yeah. no. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's sort of a mix between a silver dollar deadlift and then also a conventional, you know, 12-inch deadlift or however far the conventional deadlift is. But it's just like, I appreciate that it's becoming more standardized, especially when you get even more towards like the amateur Arnold's. You know what I mean? Rogue is the official supplier, you know, rogue, rogue for the barbells and stuff like that. And um, Cerberus for the sandbags and whatnot. That way, you know, like, okay, yeah. this is what I'm going to need to train right. on. Sure. I could blow a, a, you know, a regular, you know, regional competition out of the water, but then once you get to the Arnold, that's, that's the top stage. Right. And that's why I believe that people will hate hearing this, but I'll be honest with you. Like I have, so before I say that, I'm going to say this, I have a passion for strength sports from the perspective of both the, of being an athlete and from the perspective of someone who watches it and enjoys it, regardless of what the strength sport is, because I'll put stuff on in my home gym while I'm training. And I can't tell yes. you how many times I've been inspired, especially when I first started out. It's just me down here. My kids were really young and I put on uh pumping iron um oh i put on classic. the old cage videos from animal put on world's strongest man to just motivate you because think of the times you know then you have to train i mean there have been times when i've had to train like four o'clock in the morning or yeah. train late at night and i mean it's just me here man so yeah everybody says oh you should just be motivated enough okay i hear that guess what i've been doing this for over 20 years yeah. So there are days when I just don't feel it. You know what I mean? And maybe I can't take pre-workout because I got to go to bed as soon as I'm done. I'm going to oh, shower yeah. and go to sleep. You yep. want me to take a pre-workout? Now I have to time. So now I got to time my pre-workout and make sure I take one that crashes you 
so that when I take it, I'll crash. But then what happens if I wake up groggy and I miss my alarm and I can't go to work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then you're messing with your nervous system too, exactly. which is a very fickle you, thing. You just screwed your endocrine system up completely. And I mean, there's, there's ways that I, I get around it, but my point is one of the easiest ergogenics to use is just put on something that motivates you. Yeah. So I look at it from the standpoint of that, when I approach live streaming, something broadcasting an event and just being involved in strength sports in general, I've been involved in powerlifting and strength sports. Um, in multiple ways. So I've been involved in powerlifting as, um, as an athlete, uh, as a spotter loader, um, obviously now as a broadcaster. Um, I've been involved in the sport of strongman as a broadcaster. Uh, I've helped to do loading and spotting and help to organize events. I've tried to give, I've, I'm not saying that I do the most for strength sports compared to everybody else, but I've been around it enough to have a an opinion that's informed and at the same time because i don't make my money off of the size of an event in terms of how many athletes are in it i'm able to step back and look at it i think a little bit more clearly okay right front because i can look at it from the standpoint of the viewer who's who's discovering this event for the first time like what is this okay which is what i said when i first saw like slap boxing i was like I said, I remember doing this when I was in high school. Like, we just did it, right? You just go 60 seconds in the bathroom, man. Yeah, like, you're telling me that now this is a sport? Okay. Like, Ice Cube was like, yeah, fools get drunk and want to compete, slap boxing in the street. Okay. (laughs) All right, cool. So anyway, um, so having said all that, I think that if you're looking at, if you're looking at being fair to the athletes, to me, you should only be able to break world records at a world event, maybe a national event, maybe yeah. national, international, right? And some powerlifting events are like that. And they say you can only break a world record at a national level or international uh, competition. And the reason for that is because you want to make sure you get the right judges on the platform and all that kind of thing, right? But for the sport of strongman, because you guys have so many implements, so many different implements, to me, you shouldn't be able to break a world record unless you're breaking it on the same equipment that the person who holds the record did it on. Right. And people won't like that, but I'm sorry, you know, you got like these, uh, I don't even know if they still do it, but so like platinum level event for strongman corporation, right? If it's a platinum level event to me, it needs to have where you can break a record. It needs to be the same implement. I don't care how expensive it is. Same implement as they had at the, where the person broke it the last time. And if you don't want to take the, the, expend the money to do that, then you need to not have that event. The downside of it is then it's harder to attract people to your competition because every single weekend, there is a competition every week, every single weekend in America, especially there is a powerlifting meet. There is a strongman competition. Yeah. And probably a CrossFit event somewhere every yeah. single weekend and that's the sanctioned ones then you got the unsanctioned ones then you got the unsanctioned ones for charity then you got the unsanctioned single lift events right okay great <laughs> and i mean all that's wonderful but from the standpoint of the meet director or the contest promoter what am i going to do to get people to come to my event versus another one right because they make their money not from sponsorships companies don't want to give you money they want to give you stuff 
hey, we're going to donate this chalk bowl. We're going to donate this piece of this implement. They don't want to give you money because that cuts into their bottom line, right? And yeah. a lot of these uh, equipment companies or any fitness company, they're operating on very tight margins. So they don't necessarily have the cash to give you, but it's easier for them to say, okay, well, I'll give you a piece, a product that's already, it already exists. I've already spent the money to make it. And then I just take whatever the value of it is out of my taxes if I can. You know, now it's a donation or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe I can even sell that piece of equipment at the competition. So somebody will buy it and I'll get a little bit of money back or whatever, right? So that's what they want to do. Well, as a, as a director, you're like, well, where am I going to get my money from? I'm going to get it from the people who show up at the competition to watch it. But primarily, I'm getting my money from the athletes who pay to compete in it. Right. Well, why should you spend your money to come compete in my event versus somebody else's competition that's happening on the same day in a different location? And the answer is I've got to attract you with the toys I can let you play with. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's kind of the whole standardized um, setting for world records was it really got uh the debate got sparked up, especially during the pandemic yep. where Tom Stoltman, you know, broke the Atlas stone record. Thor broke the deadlift record. That was deadlift the biggest record, yeah. one. No one really cared that Tom Stoltman is a, you know, a, a Scotland ogre who, you know, is just an unbelievable athlete. Everyone was like, well, Thor and Eddie are starting beef now because Thor broke his record by a kilogram and yeah. I'm, I'm myself not a Thor fan. Um, I, and I, I'm not an Eddie fan anymore either, just because of how much that got blown up. Um, but there were a lot of valid points that got brought up. And the fact that Eddie lifted his deadlift at, you know, an official event. And, you know, now granted, right. it was an event tailored around him pulling 500 kilograms. Yep. But he still had to travel. He had to sleep in a, you know, probably in a crappy hotel bed. Um, you know, he had to lift in front of, you know, a, a bunch of people. And Thor just had to kind of roll up to his, you know, power gym and pull right. his deadlift. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you could take that debate round and round. Because then Thor could say, okay, well, yeah, I didn't have the adrenaline rush of the crowd. That's, yeah, and that's very true. That, I'm sure that somebody said that. Um, and Eddie's like, well, I didn't have the nerves. I mean, I had the nerves and I had the jet lag and I had the, you know, whatever, right? So in that sense, I think uh, it is similar to what used to happen in the, I'd say the 1800s, Eugene Sandow and those guys. And they would, you know, Eugene Sandow's like, hey, I'm the world's strongest man. Then Arthur Saxon shows up. He said, well, I'm the world's strongest man. Yeah. And they're both, and so, well, we got to get both of you in the same place uh, because, you know, we got to see who we, who's strongest and who's not. But at that time, they used to, basically, they would have somebody who was trusted weigh the event, weigh the implement. Yeah. Right? Say, so, okay. And they would, like, you could see, if you go back, you look at the records and say, so, Professor so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so uh, was there and he verified the weight that I used. You know what I mean? Because, you know, pretty much how do you know that this guy, I mean, you see the picture, but how do you know that this is what it weighed? And honestly, that's also part of why they used to do so much lifting of human beings and horses. Because, yeah, okay, there's variations. I mean, maybe this guy does weigh 100 pounds and this guy weighs 100 pounds. I don't know. 
And then, you know, I don't know if you ever picked like one of those heavy dang little kids. He weighs the same as another little kid, but they just dance. You pick this one up. It's yeah. like, oh, my God. Yeah, they, they right. lift very different. <laughs> yeah. So bodies are different, even if the weight is the same. Yeah. Right. And so it, but that's why they did it, because they're like, well, you can look at the fact that I'm lifting up these three people and you assume, OK, this guy, you know, they're all weigh. These are grown men, so they all weigh at least 100 pounds. Right. Yeah. So who's stronger? Hey, you got four people on your bar. And you and I got three, so maybe this guy is stronger than me or whatever. And so that's where we're running into now is situations like that. It's like, well, how do I verify that the weight that I did is what is what I claim it is, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the I don't know how you resolve that, but to me, the only way to resolve it is say you can only break this record at an official event because we're going to use the exact same bar. Right. Now, the difference is with the pandemic, obviously, you couldn't really have people, whatever, right? Um, but I look at that as like, like in uh, boxing and in the UFC or boxing and MMA, you can have an interim champion. And you say, okay, you're the interim champion because, you know, the reigning champion broke his foot or something. Yeah. He had to vacate the title. So now you two guys fight. Okay, now we got a champion, right? All right, great. Well, at some point, we're going to have the two of you fight whenever my man's foot heals. Yeah. They were going to have a fight to determine who's the real champion. Well, to me, that's what you do. You say, okay, great. You've got this unofficially. You, we're respecting what you did. Right. So maybe you don't have to qualify to come to the event now because you've already broken the record. And he'll have to qualify because he's coming back from whatever. But we'll let you guys meet and that's how we're going to determine, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, and because it's a record situation, you actually don't both have to be there. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, OK, so Thor could have just been like, OK, hey, I broke this record. But now to make it official, we're going to go the next time it's available to compete. I'm going to come and I'm going to do it. And now it's the official record. And I think that's what you what should have happened. Um, yeah, but then that boxing match showed up and Thor now looks anorexic. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I made a post about it on Facebook and I don't ever really know any political stuff on, on Facebook. I stay away from it. But yeah. I, I had to weigh in on the, on, the, on the boxing match because I was like, these two guys could have done what Mark Henry did, what um, uh, Kaz did, what uh, big laws did any of them they continued to build a legacy in the sport of strongman by promoting it by commentating by you know uh linking up with the newer athletes and and giving their two cents but instead they chose and and now granted money is awesome but at some point it's it's enough i mean they both got a lot of money you don't need to box each other on a match that got delayed and delayed and delayed then no well, one cares okay. so let me all right so i'll push back a little bit because i'm gonna say all right from a um rest of your life perspective providing for your kids perspective um i would say okay full disclosure i did not watch that boxing match me either um i <laughs> again as a combat athlete i'm not doing it um even though i don't compete anymore I'm looking at my second to last fight poster right now. I'm not doing it. So um, there, there's that. But 
from the perspective of how much money they made off of the event, you could then say, well, they made enough money to then set aside and possibly provide for their kids, even if all it does is pay for their kids' college. Right. They're kind of like set, right? And then now they can say, okay, well, now I'm going to go do this other stuff, right? Whereas in the sport of, uh, well, any sport related to strength sports, even in the sport of strongman, which is the probably the second most marketable, number one is CrossFit. Of course. Um, you're spending so much money because you're the one paying. And again, unless your sponsor pays your entry fees, a lot of this money comes out of your own pocket, right? And then you have to make it back by coaching, uh, selling supplement, you know, whatever else you do, right? So the, the honorable market of supplements. Yeah. You got you to gotta figure out something to use your hobby to, to help pay for itself. And so it's like, all right, I, do, am I looking at this from the standpoint of being able to say, okay, I've done this and now my kids are set? Or am I saying, well, I've made enough money? Well, okay, but out of that money I made, I now have to pay my coach. I've got to pay for the equipment I have that I didn't actually have the money for. So I got a loan from the equipment company. And so I'm paying payments on this equipment at right. this gym. Maybe I opened a gym and I had to put equipment in there. So now I've got a lease. I've got to pay on the gym still. So I've got all these expenses, my health, because you know, you're good, you know, regardless of performance enhancing stuff, you're still larger. You've put body weight on that your body wasn't originally um, ready for. So, yeah. you know, like think of how many co competitors have CPAPs. CPAP machines, right? Right here. All right. So I'm saying, <laughs> so like your health is impacted, right? And it's different if you start out. So I do know guys who started out really big and they actually lost weight as they were doing strongman because that was part of how they got in shape, right? Right. But so either way, it, you're looking at the health uh, implications of this thing, of this sport that doesn't have insurance associated with it, right? So from the standpoint of that, I look at it like, okay, how much money do I need so that if what I'm doing here turns out to have a long-term effect on my body to the point where when I'm 70, I'm paying for medical treatments that my insurance from my normal job wouldn't normally pay for. Um, I can see why you would do that because you're like, I need to be able to put the money away. Same thing with, um, with any sort of sport or combat sport. You're like, well, how much money, like, look at this amount of money they made for one fight. Okay, that's true. Out of that money, you got to pay your coach, you got to pay your trainer, you got to pay every member of your entourage, right? Yeah. Nutritionist, everybody, right? Then you're going to say, okay, well, of course you pay taxes as well. So then you say, okay, now this is what I have left. Am I done competing in this sport? All right. On Monday, maybe I'll take a little vacation. Then I come back from the vacation. What am I doing for the rest of my life? Because let's say you get a million dollars, all right, for whatever, for whatever competition it is. That is barely enough. If you pay off your house, which would be the smart thing, pay your house off and put the rest in the bank, you still got to go work. Yeah. Yeah. You right? can't retire on a million dollars at all. So when people say, oh man, you got enough money, it's like, well, yeah, I get it. But how much money? It's, it's like, we're looking at it like from the standpoint of me and you saying, okay, I got this money. And it kind of is like, it's kind of like getting a real big tax refund. Right. Yeah. And they're looking at it from the standpoint of once I get this, I'm changing careers. 
is this money going to be enough so that I don't have to do anything else while I build my new business? Especially considering if you've been a full-time strength athlete, you probably don't have work experience. You got a gap in your resume. So when yeah. you show up at, you know, uh, I know JD Power and say, hey, I want to work with you guys on ranking businesses. They're like, well, show me your resume. What have you been doing? Well, I was world's strongest man. That's nice. <laughs> but what have you been doing that relates to knowing how to do this? Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched, did you ever watch the show Ballers with The Rock? I did not. I've heard right. it was very good though. It is very good. Uh, it changes how you see the NFL. So I'll just, how that relates to this is the guy, the character The Rock plays is a guy who's a financial advisor and he comes in and, he, and he's a former NFL player. And they, one of the characters says to him, look, we brought you into this firm because of your name. And because you've got the contacts in the NFL, you can get these players in here to talk to us. Otherwise, you would never have this job because you've spent the last 15 years, 10 years in NFL, not doing stuff related to financial advice. Yeah. So you're at the top here. You know, you're really high. Uh, sorry, this is a podcast. So you are really high up in terms of your name recognition and your um, football knowledge but you're very low on the totem pole in terms of how much you know about this career. And so if you didn't make any money from your athletic career, then you kind of put yourself however long it was behind for your new career. Yes. Okay. So that means the money you made from your athletic career has to be enough to support you and your family while you build experience in your new career. Yeah. And that's, that's where, um, cause I completely get what you're saying because I mean, your livelihood is obviously the only thing you really ha you know, have forever. It's like, you have to be able to provide for yourself or your family, especially if you have, and you can you only do kids. it for so long. Exactly. So it, that makes it a lot more like when you see these, these athletes, um, and I, and I don't keep up with sports like football, baseball. I literally right. only keep up with strongman and maybe the top level of CrossFit if it interests me. Um, right. They ball out on these gigantic houses and these expensive cars. And it's like, yo, that unless you're not Tom Brady, you know, yeah. you're not. Uh, I don't, I don't even know who else, Michael Jordan, no, that's a, LeBron that's James. A, that's know? a good example. Yeah. yeah. Like these guys have legacies and they are one in a million in a sport that contains a bunch of people who are one in a million. So they're the, the, the top of the top, you yeah. know, I mean, there's guys that get drafted in the NFL and play for two years or three years, or they don't ever officially sign a contract for a multi-year, you know, a multi-year contract for a team. They're literally just, for that one year right the squad guys yeah yeah and right. uh you got to figure out something to do after that you know exactly. so yeah. you can't just ball out like that all the time heck no because i mean if you're on the uh i heard some guy say i'm a big fan of the nfl and one thing i will say too is that there are a lot of strength athletes in your situation who don't really pay attention to other sports right and that's part of how That's part of how the event promoters who run strength sports can get over on you because you don't know how an athlete can be treated in another sport. And you just assume that you don't get paid to be an athlete. 
because that's just how it is. Whereas, because nobody makes the connection and says, well, all I'm doing is a physical activity that people should want to watch, right? So why is it that they're willing to pay to watch this other physical activity, but they're not willing to watch me do this physical activity, okay? And so why can um, Usain Bolt make money? This is an amateur sport that he's in. So why is he able to financially be set when all he does is run in a straight line faster than anybody else? Right. Whereas, well, he, he runs in a straight line faster than anybody else who also runs in a straight line with him. Yeah. Right? Except sometimes the cameraman. <laughs> and if y'all don't know what i'm talking about you just google i've camera, seen cameraman at the track right with that yeah. dude is like like this guy got the world record that's not possible because there's a cameraman who just outran <laughs> was that real that wasn't doctored man i don't know but i just know that's the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life it was it was unreal um but anyway so just this being realistic people are willing to watch you saying bolt Maybe I shouldn't use him, but they're willing to watch people run really fast. Wow, that guy's faster than anybody else. And heck, they'll pay for it, right? But then I'm told that they're not willing to watch somebody running faster than anybody else while they're all carrying a car. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I realize this is a podcast, but I just want y'all to picture my face when I said that. (laughs) You're willing to watch somebody run, a bunch of people run to see who's fastest if they're wearing just shorts and a t-shirt. But you're not willing to watch a bunch of people run to see who's fastest and they're all carrying a car. Yeah. Hmm. People do want to see that. Okay. So why is it that we can get the first thing on TV, but it's very difficult to get the second thing on TV? Right. And it's because of how the competitions are put together. They're not put together in a way that is visually interesting. Yeah. Okay. And but but because strength athletes are used to it, we just accept that that's how it's supposed to be. But if events were structured a little bit differently, then people would be paying to watch it in greater numbers. The advertising money would come in and then all of a sudden they're paying you to compete in this sport versus you paying them for the privilege of competing in the sport and being told by them where you can and can't be and everything else, all the other rules that they give you. Yeah. And that's where people like Anthony Furman are really uh, he pushed to get on ESPN with his clash series. That is insane. Uh, Exactly. Very unreal. And that's where people like, like you with your, with garage gym media, uh, 88, it was the ADL. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've, I've watched stuff from them. Uh, I mean, it's, that's where now it's not like, it's not someone recording with a phone and just slapping it on YouTube. Yeah. Like you guys are setting up very professional equipment. And I think. Which I, costs money. So then people don't want to pay for that. And I'm like, look, dude, it's three bucks. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the, the competition director, well, this is why I say this. And this is why it sounds self-serving because I'm like, okay, so the guy is hiring us to come out to his event. He won't listen to our suggestions on how to structure the event because I've been running competitions for however many years. Okay, great. But so he won't listen to your suggestions about that. 
you're not part of the planning process when it comes time to decide which events you're going to have in the competition and where everything is going to be staged. That's you're not part of that. You just or show having athletes stand in a specific spot. Yeah. So you're supposed to, so that you show up and this is all of us. We show up and we film what's there. We don't help to set up how it's going to look. Right. Yeah. Whereas with the NFL, you notice that it's a standard rectangle. And I know that football fields have been pretty much the same this entire time, but it's a standard rectangle. The camera setups are, I don't want to say they're hundred percent the exact same, but you notice each NFL stadium pretty much looks like every other NFL stadium. As far as the on-field stuff, the differences tend to be, um, is it covered or is it open air? And then everything else, as far as the difference is the field, like the field surface and where, you know, how people sit. But as far as the camera layout, it's kind of uniform. The NFL uh, has like these camera crews that come in and they set up in roughly the same places. So they have got it down to a science to the point where we know, I wish I brought my book down here. I didn't anticipate talking about this part of things, but um, we know how in an NFL game, you know, you're going to see multiple commercials for things that have nothing to do with the sport of football. Right. In fact, most of the commercials during an NFL game or even a college game have nothing to do with football. Possibly they have to do with a video game that's related. That's a football video game. But for the most part, you don't see them selling footballs. You don't see them selling cleats. They don't sell pads. They're not selling helmets. Not because those things aren't for sale, but because they are not, they understand that their audience consists primarily of people who may not even play the game. Right. And so they're marketing to those people things that they want. So you're watching the NFL, uh, any game in the NFL, you're going to see stuff for Home Depot. You're going to see stuff for uh, where, what kind of car you want to buy, um, beer, just whatever. Right. And there's going to be tons of those commercials, 15 to 30 seconds a piece. So they can run a bunch of them. Right. Right. And I have it written down. It's a, if I tell you how many, because I, I, the periodic I'll go and I'll watch this stuff and I write down how many commercials did I just see during this event? How many brands were represented during the event? This football game, basketball game, whatever. How many times did I see the same commercial? That's now, my that's mind numbing too. Okay. Now compare that to a powerlifting meet or strong man competition where they run commercials. And that's actually changing because when we first started live streaming, they didn't even run commercials. Yeah. I remember saying, look, dude, we got to run commercials. This is a break. Instead, what they would do is they just have an empty thing. Nothing's going on. You're just sitting at home looking at this, wondering when it's going to start back up. And, and people will leave. You have no idea when it's starting back up. Right. So I'm just trapped here all day. Right. Not to mention, so the, some of the things we're fighting for are to be able to edit the stuff out, edit out the, the, the um, dead time, put in little commercials to kind of form a smooth transition. Um, but they don't plan. What I'm saying is they don't plan the breaks. It's yeah. just, it's the flow of how it's going. Right. Man, and that's what I mean by like, we're not part of the planning process. We can say, Hey, look, we're going to have a break here. We're starting on this time. We're starting on time. <laughs> If anyone feels attacked, oh well. We're starting on time. 
So when I tell people this event starts at nine and I start my pregame at 8.45, I don't get to nine o'clock and you're still not ready. And so now I got to fill that time with something while you get around to starting. And I understand stuff happens, but that's what I mean. It's like, okay. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, now we know that to go from the yoke to um, let's say the sandbag throw over the bar, um, we're going to have to move the yoke out of the way. Right. Okay. We kind of know how long that takes. So we kind of know how long it's going to take to run these number of competitors based upon how many yokes we have available, how long it'll take to get there. We're going to have a break at the round this time. Okay. So now I know three months, four months ahead of time, how many commercials I need when I get there. And maybe you put me in touch with people who've signed up for the competition. We do an interview with them and we can run that interview while you're doing all this stuff. Right. Right. Instead, what happens is you get there the day of or the day before during setup. That's when I find out how many people are there. And that most of the time, that's when I find out who they are. So that's why you don't see like stuff flash up on screen saying, you know, <laughs> and first North Dakota State, like from Key and Peel. Yeah. Like where it's like flashing up who the athlete is and some information about them. Yeah. <laughs> that's all stuff that you see in college games or whatever. It's like this is so and so and this is whatever. Right. And you hear the announcers mentioning stuff about these players and the teams and the tendencies because each team as part of the prep for a game, they're required to sit down with the announcer and tell them, hey, so if it's third and one, we're going to do this. We probably, you know, we do, we like to do these things, right? And then the announcer, he kind of knows, hey, don't go tell the other team what they just said. But now I have stuff to say. Now Tony Romo gets to say, okay, so it's third and one. What you're going to look for them to do here is this. Instead, with us, it's, all right, I'm watching and this person is struggling to get this sandbag over the bar. So kind of what they're going to want to do is uh, depending. So I'll just use like a, a typical example. All right. So you're looking at their release point and the bag is kind of going out. It's coming out of their hand in front of their face instead of up over their head. And so when they're letting go of the bar, it's not, they're letting go of it at a point where the momentum isn't carrying it up at the right angle to go over the bar. It's not that they don't have the strength to do it, it's that where they, their release point is a little bit off. And so they're not getting, they're not getting over the bar. And right. so now they're getting tired. So now they're muscling it over and they're using more and more energy because it's not smooth. So what they wanna do is probably take a, take a second, grab a breath and just say, okay, and try to focus on letting go of the, the bag at, at a different, at a slightly different point because they're almost there or they're letting go of the bag too late. So now the bag is actually the, the arc of the bag is taking it over and behind their head. So like their hands are too far up over their head. So they're releasing the bag. It's going back behind them because they're throwing it behind them. So it's like a basketball. It's only going to go where you throw it at, right? So that's what I'm saying. It's like, so that's what you have to do in terms of commentary as you're watching it. But I didn't have the time to go watch somebody because I didn't even know they were competing. I didn't have the time to go watch them in their training and say, Oh, in their training, they, they had this problem. I noticed them having this problem and this is what they need to do to fix it. Right. And, and that's where social media can kind of help now too, where like mm -hmm. you get that word spread. Obviously people want to be on camera. If, 
if you would have if you would have asked me before Winter's Warriors, like, hey man, show up on an interview, I could have told you, yeah, this is my first open competition. I'm competing in the heavyweight exactly. for the first time. Like that's like little tidbits of information like that. And then that kind of makes it feel more official, more exclusive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and see, and then then that goes back to the money thing. So this sounds like the crass capitalism, right? But I have a small business. So right. I have just, I mean, most people don't care. So I don't normally make it, I don't talk, tell people this stuff. Not because it's a secret, but they just don't care. So if you don't care, skip ahead about 15 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds. But every week I have to pay somebody who helps us out with our, with our YouTube. I have to pay the person that helps us out with our uh, Instagram. I have to pay the person who helps out with organizing our magazine and every month when we go to a competition i have to pay whoever comes with me to help with setup breakdown and running the cameras during the event yes that includes my son because i don't make my son work for free i pay him to the point where i actually normally don't make money off of the events instead everyone else my crew gets paid and i don't but because to me that's how it should be okay they get paid for, this is my dream. And they took time away from whatever dream they had to help fulfill my dream. So they need to be compensated first. Right. right? And then whatever's left over after I pay the government and put money back in the business, all right, I'll buy myself a, a sweet tea. Okay. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how it goes. So now if I say, all right, well, I'm going to take time to talk to you about your uh, training it's got to be done in such a way that it doesn't take away from anything else I could do to make money to keep this brand afloat. Right. Because we are operating on a tight margin too. So, uh, so let's say two weeks ago, um, I had to do a product review for something. Right. And if people didn't know it most of the time, if you see it, well, if you see a lot of product reviews, you're getting compensated for your time. Unless somebody's just getting started out, you're getting compensated for your time. You're not getting paid to say, this or that about the product um, because I turn those down. I do get requests to do that. I turn those down. Instead, yeah. I say, okay. Yeah, make, hey, make sure you say this is awesome. Yeah. I'm like, nah, what I'm going to do is I'll, you, I'll get your product. I'll do the review. I'll tell you what I think of it. What I am nice about now, and this has happened at least twice, is I get a product and I think it's hot garbage. And I say to the person, okay, look, this is, I'm gonna send you this video so you can check it out, but I'm not uploading it because your product needs work. In my right. opinion, I don't, I'm not trying to just trash you and flame you because I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, but I'm also not comfortable telling people your product is good if I can't find any redeeming qualities for the product. Right. Um, and so that, like I said, that's happened at least twice. So anyway, I get compensated for that. Right. So if I'm getting my money for that and that's the money I'm using to pay a platform fee or I'm paying my employee, I got to get that done. And now I'm still also working around your schedule. So that's where stuff comes in. It's like, OK, how do I fit in the time to do this? Then come back and edit the video. So I'm editing this video with you, the interview with you. And let's say there's 60 competitors. So now I got to get 60 videos and edit all 60 of them. Right. Right. And so this entire time, I didn't get paid for any of that because the contest promoter, he's got tight margins too. So he doesn't want to pay me for that. And so basically I'm unpaid, right? Right. I don't get my money until I do the pay-per-view. 
and I get the pay-per-view money and then whatever I happen to get, I happen to get. But guess what? I also didn't have money for because the contest promoter didn't want to pay. I didn't have the money to pay for Google ads to advertise the pay-per-view to get more eyes on it. Yep. Okay. Because <laughs> Instagram is great, but Instagram is not, it's good as a visibility tool and maybe a credibility builder. It's not necessarily what we find as the best way to advertise an event. The number one advertising tool is Google because that's where people go to find stuff. Yeah. Right. And so you got the rogue, whatever, rogue invitational, that's going to get, that's going to get a higher ranking in Google. Cause I might just type in rogue and it's likely to pop up if that's what's going on at the time. Rogue invitational. Hey, what's that? Okay. Yeah. And then I go to freaking, um, I don't know, the garage games. I'll pick them because they're also a, a pretty good uh, competition circuit, the garage games. So maybe if I type in garage, garage games pulls up. But more likely, if I type in, type in garage, something related to cars will pull up. So now I type in garage with a G. All right. Most likely something garage gym will pull up. Not garage games. Right. So their competition is way down here. Yeah. And as my visibility goes up, well, I'm part of that problem too, because now so it's going to be garagegyms.com, garage gym reviews, and somewhere in there, you'll see garage gym life. Garage games is just out there in the ether, like never heard of you yeah but they are there i forget so maybe not have was. to say crossfit yeah <laughs> crossfit, I, I, crossfit get competition garage games or whatever so you know what i'm saying so you yeah. have to pay for the advertising to get yourself to the second ranking on google so when you when you pay for advertisement do you also have to uh specify what keywords you want yeah okay i've never paid for advertising except yep. for like one ad on like Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And so you, so what depends? So if it's Google advertising, you pay for keywords and you pay per click. So oh, without, okay. without getting way into the weeds, you're paying for paying per click, right? So every time somebody clicks on the ad, whether they actually purchase the pay-per-view or not, um, I got to pay because they clicked on the right. ad, right? So uh, let's say it's five bucks. Well, like you said, most pay-per-views are $2.99, $3.99, right? So, <laughs> so you're not even earning a click with the pay-per-view. So what you're hoping is somebody clicks on that, they see it, they're like, hey, I'm going to sign up. And then they tell somebody else. Yeah. So how does the UFC do it? Because I, I beat the football thing to death. So let's talk about the UFC. How does the UFC do it? Um, and people who look at the UFC now forget, don't remember when the UFC had struggles being even sanctioned. Because yeah. they had the boxing commissions looked at the UFC, looked at MMA as trying to take money away from them. And it was like a big, big battle, right? So they did a lot of like underground uh, marketing. Like Blockbuster helped them out because they had the video and Blockbuster is like, uh, you get to Blockbuster and you're there to get something else. For those of you who don't know what Blockbuster is because you're too young, Blockbuster was a video store. You go there and you get the actual, you'd get your your movie on a physical device, like a tape or a cassette or some sort of DVD or whatever, right? Uh, yes, it wasn't a, you didn't download it from the internet. You went to a place and you got the movie. And anyway, while you're there, and they were lined up in rows, like at the library. And so I might see a UFC video and say, oh, wow, what's that? Now I, that's how the word got out about it. Okay. So now with the UFC, 
in any MM, any fight, they don't say it's the um uh so like when I, I had a fight at the Battle of the Brewery uh here in Atlanta, they didn't say, well, the Battle of the Brewery is gonna be a big enough name competition for everybody to want to check it out. Instead, it was part of my responsibility as a fighter to tell people, hey, I'm fighting at the Battle of the Brewery. Here's how you can watch it. And I had to promote it. So when you see the press conferences, the press conferences are there to promote the event and get people to watch the pay-per-view so that it makes money. And then some of that money goes back into sport. How does it go back into sport? Well, because the way this is supposed to work is I'm supposed to pay the event organizer say, hey, I want to come cover your event. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay you for the right to be the exclusive broadcaster. Along with me paying that money, I get part of, I get a say in how you organize your event because I need to make sure that it looks good for my viewers who I just paid all this money advertising to attract. And um, I need to get my money back or else I ain't coming back. Right. So remember I said the, the promoters don't want to let other people tell them how to do a, they don't want to tell you how to run their event because they've been doing it all this time. Yeah. That's part of why you see this, right? Even, then, even though it can make them more money in the end if they have a very marketable, got to have a long good looking broadcast. Yeah. I imagine if we told you, hey, you're an amateur athlete, you got to work and you got to, and you can, and train. And we're going to take time away from your training and you got to come to this press conference. We ain't paying you, but you got to come to this press conference and kind of promote the sport, right? Most strength athletes are like, well, I don't want to talk about how much weight I'm doing because then my competitors will know what I'm doing. I want everyone who's listened to this to once again, imagine my face as I say this next part. So you think that fighters are excited about going to talk about what they're doing in training as they get ready to fight somebody else, <laughs> but they still do it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things I think with, especially with amateur strength athletes, where we have such little recognition in any form that um, it's sort of like you, you crawl so others can walk type of deal. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to take that hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to see the fruit of this tree. Why would I help plant it? Well, you might. Because no, I you, would, because like, if you're passionate about the sport, you should do it. I agree with that. No, no. I mean, like you might see the benefit monetarily. Oh, yeah. So, so think about it like this. All right. Again, press conference, right? You're doing press conferences. You're raising your visibility. Don't you think that a sponsor will be more likely to want to take you? If you're coming to a, they know you're going to be sitting at a press conference, raising the visibility of the event where you're going to compete versus I'm going to go compete in the, you know, uh jacksonville alabama uh you know invitational and nobody's gonna see me <laughs> yeah but i want you know but i want to wear your brand and i'm gonna i'll give shout, shout outs to you on my social media yeah what <laughs> you should do it for the good of the sport man and i'm over here at uh you know freedom fitness equipment who is also a, they make some excellent sandbags by the way but I'm over here at Freedom Fitness Equipment, like, okay, so you want me to just give you money 
but I got to pay my employees. And then, so remember what I just said about how like some of that money's got to go back into the, I got to pay my employees. I, even if they're contract employees, I got to pay them. And then when am I going to actually be able to put money back into this business? So I don't have to go take a part-time job to be able to live. Right. And then how am I going to leave it to my kids? Right. So you're coming to a sponsor at telling them you want this or that. And they're like, well, where are you going to be competing? How am I going to get my ROI? Oh, well, you should just want to do it for the good of the sport. Right. But if you're doing press conferences, you're promoting the event, you're asking people to come. Now, you know, I mean, if I'm making a lot of money off the pay-per-view, now I can pay athletes. Or maybe I'm not paying athletes, but I'm paying the promoter and not a promoter can pay y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And and then there's more companies like uh, like Freedom, who I think I think I also follow then yeah. they can they can get their visibility up and, yeah. and all sorts. Yeah. Yeah. But, and there's money in it, you know, I mean, because guys like JB are the owner of Freedom Fitness Equipment. They're they're willing to do stuff. They're in this for the love of the sport. That's why they're creating the, the stuff or David Dennis over at Gorilla Strength. But they got to look at how uh, paying bills, man. Yeah, they've got to pay bills. You know, it doesn't matter how awesome your weekend was on Monday. I've got to pay the light bill. Yeah. Right. So what am I supposed to do? That's why they like to give product instead of sending money. So I'm just saying that in a long roundabout ways, like you have to figure out ways if you want these sports to grow, to make it so that they are set up so that people will pay to watch them. And then when people are willing, when large amounts of people are willing to large amounts of people are willing to pay to watch them, then companies will want to advertise during those events. Right. And I mean, think about it. If I do a press conference, right? So let's say we do a press conference. Um, and uh, let's say uh, we do, I'm trying to like, I'm kind of extrapolating a fight press conference and, and saying what it would be like if you did a, a weight, something related to, to strength sports, right? So let's say we get all the uh, 231 and up men, right? And you're sitting, the people who are expected the podium or just whoever, they're all sitting there, right? We ask them all questions, we're all about, all right, cool. They get up, they move away. Now we're going to bring in all the middleweights. Well, while we're doing that, run a commercial, right? Right. If a bunch of people are watching this press conference, don't you think DeWalt drills would be like, hey, heck yeah. Why? Because <laughs> the majority of the people who compete in, uh, strength, in strength sports, I love strong women, but the majority of people who compete in strength sports are men. Yeah. So who's the normal demographic for DeWalt strength, for DeWalt drills? Men, right? Yeah. Okay. Men and also blue collar workers who are also your number oh, one demographic for competing in strength sports. You feel me? <laughs> you feel me? Now you feel me. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. It's like, you make it attractive. Uh, I was talking to this guy, man, he's a competition promoter. And I said, look, dude, and I've said this till I'm blue in the face. And I say, look, dude, here's the thing. I need, heck, I'll tell you guys this. It costs me every single live stream I do costs me $1,500. Now that number goes up. If I'm going out of town to do it, whether I'm in town or out of town, it costs me $1,500 to do it. All right. That's not even taking a little bit of money and putting it towards my camera fund. Right. right. So if I show up and I got four cameras an event, that's $9,000 worth of equipment. So even if I had that money in the war chest, we got to replenish the war chest because eventually I got to replace the cameras. Either they break down or the resolution becomes out of date 
because remember when 1080p was the standard, now it's 4K. Right. Right. So the camera might be too old. Might have the correct, might not have the correct resolution. I have to constantly update my cameras. So that's, if I bring four cameras, that's nine grand alone in cameras alone. Right. Because I'm not bringing a bunch of iPhones. I'm bringing cameras. Right. And actually, iPhones are really good for certain iPhones things, are getting a lot better now. They're yeah. really good for certain things. But yeah, how excited are you going to be if I have my iPhone going and I get a phone call? <laughs> while i'm streaming <laughs> yeah. let's just talk about that for a little bit but anyway so um and much less if you got ptz's uh and for anybody who doesn't know what that is it's a pan tilt zoom it's essentially the same thing as like a, a security camera or a ring doorbell it'll move around and it'll follow the action and it's not automatic it's that you control it right you have a little joystick you control it really cool but those things could be about 2500 a piece they can be more and you have to learn how to use them effectively you got to have somebody running that piece of equipment right now that person should be doing just that running just the cameras so that means you got somebody else who's watching the health of the stream who's running the commercials we've got software that we use to run the commercials run any kind of little clips in between make sure the on-screen graphics go on at the right time all that stuff there's another person that does that then you got the person who's doing color commentary and play-by-play so the difference is play by play is like, hey, look, and he just threw it up in the air and color commentary is, yeah, did you see his release point and how he really uh, looked how explosive his hips were when he followed through with that? Man, that was awesome. Okay, so you got these two people. You can save money by cutting down and having, uh, you know, one person do multiple jobs. But I'm just saying, it, if I show up, it costs me $1,500 for an in-town live stream. Okay, so... I tell every single promoter, don't pay me out of the money you're getting from the athletes. Help me go find, like actively help me go find companies that are willing to pay to uh, run ads during your event. Because you've got your contact list, I've got my contact list, and we work together to get them to the point where Anything over my operating expenses, we could split 50-50. Right. All right. No one has taken me up on that. I've been running live streams since 2018. Okay. So you mentioned the love of the sport. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you love strength sports. You have to love also running audiovisual, you know, for, for strength sports. If I could veer off a little bit here, what made you decide to look at the strength sport and be like, I imagine you had knowledge of cameras prior to this. A little uh, bit. A so little bit. yeah, what made you decide, like, look at that and be like, this is what I'm going to do. It goes back to the home gym experience. Remember I told you that I've there many times when I'm working out in my home gym and I throw something on and I watch it. Uh, last month, my wife and I got really into um, indoor climbing because I went to was it last month, maybe a month before last, because I went to this guy's house to do a home gym tour with him. And that's a lot of fun for me, like just going to people's homes and seeing what they have. And so I get there and he has set up an indoor climbing gym in his home gym. So that's he lifts weights. amazing. Yeah. So he lifts and then he'll 
like right behind, or I guess in front of, depending on what your perspective is, his squat rack is a climbing wall. And he's got another climbing wall, two other climbing walls, you know, that, uh, if you like kind of, if you're standing in the doorway, you look straight ahead, you see his squat rack, you see the climbing wall, you pan to the right, uh, you see another climbing wall and then another climbing wall and right. And they're different, uh, they call them problems. So they they have different kinds of holds and stuff and they call them problems because trying to figure out how to climb on it, right? All right, so anyway, because I did that, I wanted to see what the competitions look like. So I came home and I started watching it, right? Well, that happens to me a lot. Like I said, man, sometimes I'm training in here uh, and I've got, it's boring. And, it gets very boring. Yeah, and you just, because I mean, it depends on what I'm doing because like, I don't, you know, it depends if the pace is really, really fast you kind of don't have time to get bored, but that's not really developing strength. That's more like a, almost like a CrossFit Metcon pace. It's yeah. conditioning and whatever, right? So I'm boom, 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 go, 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 right? Even then I'll probably listen to a podcast. Of course. Um, and uh, well, when I got into the home gym experience in terms of trying to see what I could do to add value back to it, because I had already been working out in a home gym since I started in 2001, Right. So around 2015, 2016, I just said, you know, I want to kind of give back. Um, and I knew I could write, but I also know that magazines aren't necessarily as popular as they have been. And I just started looking around for things I could do. And so the home gym, I said, well, what do we need in the home gym community? And you need, um, if you're going to be successful, you got to have uh, a reason to work out, a method for getting better so that you can achieve that goal that got you started in the first place. Um, you got to have something to you work out with. So tools, uh, tools to work out with and a place to put it, you got to have space and a reason to continue doing it because you, that's that um, missing piece. And I saw, so there are garage gym coaches, garage gym athlete, street parking, um, um, A-team athletics. I mean, you just name Spitz Fitness. Uh, I could just name a bunch. And, and I just named coaches from four different disciplines right there, right? Um, who are all home gym-based coaches. So that's already covered, right? Then equipment. All right, well, just picture the company. <laughs> There's a company that makes your equipment, right? Right, yeah. Space, you took care of that because it's your house, okay? And you figured out where you want to put it. Well, where's the motivation? That didn't exist. So I started out with doing that by shouting people out on Instagram. And I was the first person to shout out, quote unquote, regular people. At the yeah. time that I started doing it, um, if they were doing a shout out uh, or like reposting somebody's work, it was typically somebody who was a high profile lifter because you're trying to get people to come look at your account. And I started out and said, look, I'm going to make you, you feel like you're the star. And I was reposting those people. And then it just kind of grew as a natural outgrowth of that because I started doing it. Other people started doing it. And I said, well, I got to keep doing what people aren't doing. Yeah. So I'm, it's just constantly pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. What can I do that isn't there? That's, you know, where's the hole? How can I serve them? How can I serve people? And that's how it happened. And so I did have my degree in communications, um, English and communications from the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. But that really, it just kind of like helped me understand some concepts as far as learning how to work with cameras and all that stuff, um, I had to learn all of that. And I don't even still know that. That's where a team comes in. 
because I had a guy, Casey Hess, who runs Consecrated Tech. He came on board with me and the two of us together kind of put together our camera layout, picking out the technology we're going to use. My son is at a point in his life when he's like, it's easy for him to learn concepts and he's still interested in that kind of stuff too. So he came on board and he learned how to do the cameras. He's got a natural eye. Um, he's very good. At, I mean, he could like take a phone and just kind of, it looks like he's not even aiming and his photo picture with the camera phone looks better than if I camera phone, just like I said, camera phone, his picture <laughs> with the phone looks better than if I took a camera and took my time setting up the shop. Right. Because he's just got that skill. So that's what I did. I was like, I was really influenced by a couple of books, but the, there was the e-myth and then scaling up. And it just basically talked about how businesses that last are businesses where it's not being self-employed, where you find people who are good at what they do and you get them to come on board to make your business succeed. And that's how every single business that provides every single thing that we have is able to still keep doing it because the person who starts the business doesn't try to do everything themselves. Because right. if you do that, what ends up happening for you is you have an amateur running your entire business mm -hmm. because you're constantly learning a new thing. So you're not good at it yet. You're an amateur. You know, so do you want a professional running your business or do you want an amateur running it? Right. So that's how I got into it. And then over the course of time, just being around people who know how to do it, I just picked up more and more about the audiovisual stuff, the PTZ. You start, you learn the lingo and everything else. Because when I was in school, we didn't have, well, the internet had just really started. So I graduated from college in 1995. Okay. All right, so the internet was in its in its infancy. You know what I mean? I mean, heck, I still remember doing papers on microfiche. Just go ahead and look that up for anybody who's like, "What's that?" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you just we didn't have Google. I remember when Google started. So it's a lot of this stuff is like we're learning it as it goes, and and some of it is like you have to be fearless about saying, "All right, I want to do this thing." So what are the things that are going to enable me to do this thing in the most efficient way? Right. And that's really what happened. I'm sorry. I don't have like a, a simple and easy. This is why. But the ultimate reason was because I felt I saw a hole in the in the home gym community, a thing that I, th I could provide. So then I had to go learn how to do the things that let me do the things so I can do the things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. So aside, aside from the financial aspect of it and, and maybe even exposure is, is like probably top on your list of difficulties. Um, what would you say has been the most challenging thing with what, what it is that you do, whether it's, you know, uh, marketing your, your product reviews or, or streaming or, or any of the services you provide? I'm a competitive guy. Um, and I, I don't like doing stuff if I'm not going to be good at it, preferably the best. I feel that. Um, and so because I'm a competitive guy, it is tough to maintain my faith and kind of trust the process. If I see somebody, especially somebody who looks like they started after me and they're kind of building on a foundation I built, it's sometimes tough to not let jealousy get in the way. Um, I have not mastered that in any way. Okay. I'm just saying that this is my struggle. Right. So, I mean, it's really easy for me to be in church and say, Hey man, 
what would Jesus do and whatever, right? But at the same time, so like we sell banners. And I remember I was talking to my wife um, three days ago, earlier this week, whenever it was. And I told her I had to stop looking at one of my friend's Instagrams because, uh, so I normally sell our banners. And um, for a while there, I stopped selling them because I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure out some mechanical stuff. I was just like, man, it's a headache. I'm not going to sell them. I just give them to people who mean, you know, are meaningful to me. So I'm not making any money off of it. So if I'm not making money, I don't have to report it to the IRS. There's that tax piece I don't have to worry about. I also don't have to worry about paying um, an e-fulfillment company, all that kind of stuff. So I gave this guy, but these banners mean a lot to me. Like if you look at, you can see, I know on the podcast, people can't see it, but I'm assuming there'll be like a, some sort of image or whatever, and people will see it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just go to Garage Gym Life on Instagram, at Garage Gym Life, and you'll see the banners right there. The logo is right there in our Instagram um, profile. So that logo means a lot to me because it's my DNA is kind of expressed in that banner. So if I give it to somebody, if I give it to somebody, it means a lot to me that I just gave it to them. It's not right. like, oh, here, here you go, right? So if somebody buys it, it's kind of like, man, I, I can't even put into words what that means to me on a personal level, okay? But let's say I give it to you. So I gave this banner to this person and he doesn't post a ton of stuff from his home gym, but his wife posts a bunch of stuff from her home gym. And so I followed them both, you know, you know, just you know cool people you know follow follow back all that kind of stuff and i started to notice i told my wife i said you know i, I had to stop looking at their instagram because um they i'm looking and i'm it's funny because uh, his wife's very attractive okay i caught myself i mean i'm a guy i like women all right <laughs> but she's um i caught myself i realized that this was a problem when i saw her post multiple times and i'm not even looking at her Instead, I'm looking around her like, hey, I don't see the banner in the background. Right. And these are, and so, and she's got the carousel picture and I'm swiping. I don't see the banner anywhere. So either they didn't put it up, it's kind of a slap in the face, or they put it up in such a way so that nobody sees it, which is also, in a way, it does, you say, well, that doesn't hurt you. But again, awareness. Yeah. Helps me out. Right. So I'm like, so dude, from my perspective, and maybe this is reading too much into it, but this is what happens when you're in this space. Right. I'm like, I'm looking at you and you don't have a problem giving free advertising to Nike. Right. Cause uh, you got clothes on, right. You're not, it's not a naked picture. So you're wearing clothes. So you're giving free advertising to Nike from your, you know, your shoes, you're giving free advertising to um, whoever made that rack, that power rack that's in the background, because somebody else see and say, oh, is it that's got to be a whatever brand rack? Yeah, whatever is actually up on your walls, you're advertising them, whatever's in your room, you're advertising them. You don't know them. <laughs> so you don't value what I gave you enough to display it right? right yeah so that's not a healthy way to look at it and so i have to battle that and not let that affect me at the same time um 
I have to turn this just a little bit. Uh, just so you, I know nobody on the podcast will see this, but you'll see it. And I can't, actually, I'll just pick this up and move it for a second. Can you see that? You see that cup holder? Yes. All right. So, actually, I'll, I'll give you better. Like I said, nobody sees it, but see that? That's so a got, super handy cup holder. Yeah. So, um, put this back. Try to, all right, cool. So, uh, back before the pandemic, I was actually way before that. I've had a home gym for 20 years. So I'm always like, where am I going to put my cup? <laughs> and I will always look for cup holders. And there was not a cup holder on the planet. Nowhere. Nowhere at all. I said, like, seriously? Nobody makes a cup holder? So I went to a local place and I just had them. I, I said, hey, man, I took a J hook. And I worked with it. It literally took entirely more time than I thought it would to explain this concept. They made several iterations that were completely not what I was talking about. Right. And even this isn't exactly what I meant, but I was just like, fine, fine. I'm just going to leave. But I said, look, designers, I said, I want a cup holder. He said, for what? I said, I want to put it on my, my squat rack. And I gave him the measurements. Measurements were off. So I took a J hook there. I said, look, man, take this. And you're going to, I had a spare one. I said, take this. And what you're going to do is you can cut this part off and put a little bracket on it so I can put a cup in there. And it's gotta be this size because of the size of a shaker bottle, right? So um, that didn't work either, but he ended up coming up with something that he understood then, right? <laughs> Literally three trips down there, plus a bunch of emails back and forth. Anyway, I get a cup holder. Then I said, you know what? I'm the only person on the planet with a cup holder. How many home gym owners out there who could probably use a cup holder? Let's see what if we could make them and if it's, effective cost effective to get them out there we'll start selling them right it'll help cover some of our costs now i can charge uh promoters less money because i'm making money from somewhere else right right all right so when and i kept having people give me pushback this thing is hard to make i don't know if it's a good idea i don't know if anybody's gonna want it um you know, and I don't know anything as like, you know, well, I'm asking people to help me with the patent and the patent attorney, he wasn't really seeing it. So I went to multiple people's, I got a lot of different contacts across industries, right? And they're all like, yeah, I don't know, man, give me pushback. And I was at, uh, I was doing, I was in California working um, at, a, at a competition and I live in Georgia um, and I was in California working at a competition. One of the companies that um, I had reached out to for help with designing it messaged me, said, hey, I see a cup holder. I saw it on the internet. Is it yours? I said, no. So then I'm like, well, oh God, what if somebody found my, my blueprints and stuff somehow? Jeez, let me check. Look on there and I see the Massonomics cup holder. So it's not designed like mine, but I see it. I'm like, oh. all right, so now we're no longer the only company that would have one, right? All right, right. no problem. Hey, look, here's the bright side. You know, now I don't have to explain to somebody what a car is. I just got to convince them to buy mine. Yeah. You know, before cars existed, I got to tell you what it is. So, so you're saying there's no horse. <laughs> well, we say horsepower, <laughs> but it's not really a horse there. It's just it's an engine and a thing, but it's a, a, right. But there's no horse. So how does it go? Was this the engine? What's the engine? Okay. Right. But now I don't have to do that because it's a yeah. car. Now, you know, cars exist. All right. Now I don't have to explain that. All right. So now you, right. But I see it. So when I see the, I even made a post and told Massonomics, and this is how I combat the problem to come back around to how it works. What I do is I try to just be overly grateful. 
and overly congratulatory. Because if I don't do that, if I didn't make the post and say, hey, look, I had this thing and because I saw that it was, I think it's something that's important, but hey, somebody else got to the market first with it. So, hey, look, I don't have one Massonomics does, y'all need to go buy one. You know, now I don't, they don't pay me for advertising. So I don't like talk about their stuff all the time, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I can't look at the fact that they've got this thing that was a passion project of mine and they got it first. And all these people who told me it couldn't be done. Now I'm looking at the thing because they didn't, they had a bigger, they had the opportunity because their, their profile is bigger than mine. So they had an opportunity that I didn't have, obviously, in order to be able to make it. I can't get jealous about the fact that they had the opportunity because they put in the time to build an audience and authority and all that, that gave them the opportunity to do that thing. Right. And I'm just not there yet. Right. So I have to look at it as confirmation that if you put in the work to build your authority, to build your awareness, opportunities will come to you down the road. And so it is worth it. And at the same time, I can't let my competitive nature cause me to become bitter because if I do become bitter, it's going to negate number one, the joy in doing this, which is important. You got to have joy in doing it until you make money at it. Of course. And it's also going to make me kind of abrasive to people. So nobody's going to want to be around me, which is going to make it hard for the brand to grow and things like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll feel, yeah, it'll kind of take me away from why I started doing this in the first place. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. One of my favorite sayings is, uh, and I heard it on my, my personal favorite podcast, uh, last podcast on the left, uh, the, the main host, Marcus Parks, is a, he's a phenomenal, phenomenally hard worker. And uh, one of the sayings that he said was, uh, luck is when preparation and opportunity come together. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And so, I mean, people say, you know, so there's a thing that's like, you have people who are uh, trying to think of like something very easy to understand. So let's say LeBron James was born in, I'll pick somewhere where people naturally are tall. So let's say he's born in uh, East Africa and he is, he's born as a Dinka instead of being born in Cleveland or wherever he was born growing up in Cleveland, where he's exposed to the NBA. He still has his physical gifts, but he never has the opportunity to be a millionaire and change his family tree. Right. Right. Instead, he's just a real tall dude. And maybe he's, I mean, because they jump as part of their culture. So he's like the most famous jumper in their ceremonial dances, but he doesn't become a millionaire because he's born somewhere where the opportunity doesn't exist to throw a ball through a net. Yeah. And there's also other tall people because they're historically genetically tall. Yeah. They're all genetically tall. So it's like, I mean, like, yeah. So you say, well, what are the things that cause you predispose you to success in the NBA? Well, you got to be tall, right? Yeah, they're outliers, but web mostly bows. But for the most part, you want to be tall. Okay. Yeah. So then why don't we just go and recruit from places where they're tall people? You know, instead we we kind of recruit from over here. And it's because the opportunities are here, the nutrition is here. If I just wanted to make a really strong dude, so uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go um to Iceland and pick a random kid because they're all big, right? Yeah, their average height is like six feet. Yeah, okay, so now I bring him to the States and they introduce him to football. 
boom, what if Thor had grown up over here yeah, instead of in Iceland or Norway, wherever he's from? I think he's from Iceland. He's from Iceland. Yeah. So what if he grew up over here? You know, Brian Shaw had the choice about whether to play basketball or to be a strong man. Thor actually did play basketball in Norway until there you go. I mean, I'm sorry, in Iceland until he injured himself. Okay. So, well, there you go. All right. So that makes it even a better example because he injured himself. Right. So now how often has somebody taught a tall dude who's in, let's say East Africa, he's playing basketball, hoping to get noticed and be able to either go to the Olympic games. Cause that's where you're going to get noticed. If you're East, Af- East African, you got to go to the right. Olympics and play well enough. So Number one, you got to be able to get enough, at least four other dudes who are good enough for y'all to have an Olympic team. (laughs) And then somebody from the U.S. has to notice you and then say, okay, yeah, we're going to bring you to the U.S. You're going to play for us, right? Or Europe or something like that, right? Right. So what if Thor was in Iceland, he injures his knee? I'm sorry, not in Iceland. What if he was over here, injured his knee? And because of the access that we have, he's able to get treatment for that. And now we're talking about half Thor Bjornsson, you know, uh, power forward for the Knicks. Yeah. Instead of half Thor Bjornsson, who is doing okay. I don't feel sorry for him. Okay. He's in, <laughs> he, he was on TV. He's, you know, he's doing all right. He's, he'll be okay. Everybody just, knows the mountain. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he'll do okay. But I'm just saying it's like opportunities. And so that's one of the other things too, is like people can talk about how, uh, Microsoft was started in a garage. IBM was started in a garage, but you got to know people who know people who know you Yeah. in order to be able to get your ideas out there. And I will encourage people who are, who have some idea or whatever, you know, it's don't necessarily think that you have a bad idea just because the people around you are saying no, because let's go with the cup holder story. Everybody told me, everybody who knows me told me, no, what is this? So then I would do like the thing and I'd like demonstrate it. So this is how it works. Oh yeah, I can see that. But who's going to pay for that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now people pay for that. Yeah. Uh, To go back in time, right. Alan Calvert, I'm a student of strength history. Alan Calvert invented the loadable barbell. Before that barbells were fixed. And that's why we have some of the, different exercises that you see from the old time strongman competitors, old time physical culturists, because you get, you buy a barbell and it's that weight. Well, you start out, can I pick it up from the ground? All right. Can I pick it up overhead? Can I lift it repeatedly? Like you just start finding things you can do with it. Cause as you get stronger, you're not able to just, you can't just add more plates. Right. So you, you end up with an increased exercise variety, which I would argue makes you more resilient and healthy. Right. But that's neither here nor there. Point is, Alan Calvert came out with the idea of loading a barbell. Why don't we just change the weight of the bar? It's easy to just change the weight of the bar. Well, that's not the way we've always done it. We've always used fixed barbells. It's going to cost a lot more money. Where are people going to get the, it was originally it was filled with lead shot, the glow barbells. Where are we going to, people going to find the lead shot to do this? You know, this is just not, uh, I don't think so. You know what I mean? But if Alan Calvert hadn't stuck to his guns, we wouldn't have the bars and plates that we have now, you know? So it's like, just typically, if you have an idea, the people around you will think it's a dumb idea. (laughs) There's, I say, there's always going to be naysayers and people who didn't do what they had the idea to do. So, and that leads also to what you were saying about being bitter 
that bleeds over into how you present yourself. Exactly. Because you've been telling me this is a dumb idea. And now I'm out here and I say, oh, look, a car. Thought you said those couldn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so did you ever move forward with making more of your cup holder? Uh, no, because, well, we tried. All right. And we're still in the process of working on it. Um, so without going like way down that rabbit hole, I, I can't just put out a cup holder, even though my design looks completely different than theirs. I can't just put out a cup holder without saying, well, I'm adding value because now it's going down to why, why buy this one versus this one? There's got to be a substantial uh, advantage in cost or function, or um, you just like me better. And I don't mean that in a, in a, um, that sounds flippant, but people like to buy from people I, they like. Yeah, I, was say, I, I understand completely because I'm like, if, if I like a brand, I believe in a brand, I'm going to buy from that brand. Yeah, it's everything. I mean, like we don't really think about it, but if you're married, this is one that will resonate with you. You ask your wife where she goes to the grocery store, right? I'm not saying men no grocery shop. Just work with me. So <laughs> your wife goes to a grocery store. She's got certain grocery stores she goes to for certain things. Yeah. Why? Because I like that brand. I like the stuff they have there. I promise you, every grocery store in America has essentially the same products but you like certain grocery stores for certain things. Yeah. You'll buy stuff at Walmart. You won't buy a target. You'll buy stuff at target. You won't buy a Walmart. You'll buy, you won't, you'll buy stuff at, uh, I don't know. Uh, so uh, Kroger. Yeah. Or, or if you're in California, Anderson's, whatever, I don't know like where most of your listers are, but you understand what I'm saying you'll buy stuff there that you wouldn't buy at Walmart or target. Yeah. I'm right? here in Tennessee. We got Kroger. So I understand. Completely yeah. Yeah. What yeah you're so yeah, and you guys used to have a red food store, and then after that, Bilo, because my first job was a, my first job when I was in college, my first college job uh, was at, well, in Tennessee, I worked at a Bilo, basically, my last two years that I was in college. So, yeah, but you understand know what I'm saying? And so you kind of have like a relationship with the people, and so then you want to shop from them. Right. And, and so with my cup holder versus any other cup holder on the planet, it's like, well, it's kind of like why you buy that scrub brush versus another one. Or why you bought that toothbrush versus this one. It's like, they look like toothbrushes. Well, you got to do the thing. And that's what we're in the process of. It's like changing it enough so that it's, uh, uh, I can tell you, hey, mine is better than this one. I'm not saying this one's bad. I would never trash theirs. But I'm just saying, I think mine is the one you should buy because of this, this, and this. Right. Right. And so I've got like a list of things. I'm like, okay, these are the things that will make it that. And as we're working through that, then yeah, we'll do it. But in the meantime, what we're doing is we're selling the banners because the banner money helps to go pay for patenting the new idea yeah. and the um and and the cost of R and D and all that, you know. Because if I show up at a metal worker and I say, Hey, I need you to do this thing, I gotta pay him for his time, right? So yeah. again, again, it all comes back around to money. So that's why I said like the, the banner doesn't just represent uh, the um, you're buying, a, you're buying a thing. It there are a lot of things that are embedded in what it means to have that banner on somebody's wall that people that I could do an entire podcast on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when, when I saw that going to the banner specifically, when I saw that you had those, those, the banners available, like literally right after Peyton and I had met you, it was like, yeah. 
this is it. Like we were looking for a new flag to put on the wall anyway. Nice. And it, and it was just sort of like, obviously, why would we not, you know, like this yeah, is, yeah. this is what we have. If there's one thing, and, and it, I hate using the term throwaway money because I don't regret any of the equipment I bought yeah, ever, oh, yeah. but if I'm going to pour my money into one thing, it's, it's this. And to me, the garage gym life banner does encapsulate. This is what we decide to do as our passion. Yeah, like if you have a home gym and you see it, even if your home gym's not in a garage, you can be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'll tell you a secret. Yeah, you built this. Yes. So it's like, so I'll tell you a secret. So, so I deadlift sumo. All right. I'm happy to fight with anybody who wants to argue about sumo. Whoa. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I deadlift sumo and the clip art that we use to make the logo, there are multiple options for a deadlifter, right? Heck, they're squatting, they're benching. But I deadlift sumo. And so when I was picking logos, the most weight I've ever lifted was in a sumo stance on the platform at a meet, right? So that's initially the company represents me, right? I built that strength in a home gym. Well, my second home gym ever, I told you my first home gym was two dumbbells at the foot of a bed. My second home gym ever was in a shed. Now, if you look at the banner closely, that's not a garage. Right. That's a shed. That's foundation was laid in 2000 in a shed. All right. And uh, it's happened to be laid in Georgia. The color, Georgia colors for the UGA are red and black, red, black, and white. Yeah. So look at the banner. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you're looking at all these things. I told you, I've mentioned multiple times my faith. So you say, oh, those are why the crosses are there. What people don't, a lot of people don't realize is that I'm actually part Irish. Um, and I'm part okay. Irish. Yeah, I'm part of Irish because of a love story and a decision to stand up for what's right. So in the, this is the shortest version of the story I can make it. In the 1800s, one of my ancestors was from Ireland. He went to the uh, Caribbean, met a woman there and decided he wanted to marry her. And at that time, you couldn't marry, uh, I met a woman who was a slave. And you couldn't marry slaves. You also couldn't marry, even if they're free slaves, you don't marry them. You keep them as a mistress. You don't marry them. He said, well, I love her and I respect her. I'm going to marry her. The right thing to do is to marry her. They threatened his life to the point where not just he, but his brothers all had to flee that island. So they run away, right? And my ancestor, my ancestral grandfather, ancestral grandmother went to West Africa and because of their courage along the way, you know, many years later, um, my mom meets my dad who's descended from this Irish guy and a former slave. And that's how I came along. So had the Irish guy just decided to say, man, I'll just have her as a mistress. I may not even exist. Right. Right. So those are Celtic crosses because I'm paying homage to Thomas Greaves and Adelaide Hall. Without them, their courage, I would not I, exist. I, I love that name, Adelaide. That's yeah, uh, that's a beautiful name. You know what I'm saying? So that's when I say when I give that to you, if I give that banner to somebody, I, I'm not even done telling you about it, but I'm done from right now. But I'm just saying that there's things in there. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, okay, I lied. I'll tell you one more thing. If you look at that banner, there's more than one entrance, right? Yes. There's one more than one way to get strong. I love that, man. I love that you've put so much meaning 
into yeah. honestly that makes it mean more to yeah. have it up on my wall like so now the- you know why when i say thank you for your support and i'm like because you bought it and i saw it and you and peyton that put it up i'm like yeah thank you yeah that is that is an awesome i, I in a way I, you're honoring thomas and adelaide yeah that's amazing man uh i, I can't even tell you the story without the chills <laughs> i can't every time i tell the story i get the chills i got i got chills listening to it that is because that's yeah. that's such a like um almost random event you know what i mean like it's one yeah. of those things where like it, to be born is a gift by itself yeah that's even more like it almost never happened so i keep lying to you tell you i won't tell you anything else i'm also part native american the deadlifters red. The reason I'm part Native American is because on my mom's side, a Native American woman met a freed slave and they said, we can't stay here in the States because we want our children to grow up not as second-class citizens. So they got on the ship to go to the country where I was born. On the ship, so it's the man, the Native American woman, the black man, the Native American woman and their daughters. On the ship, she catches fever and dies. So this man loses his wife, the love of his life, survives to get to West Africa. And because he already had daughters, you know, the line carries on. And because of their courage, my mom existed to meet my dad. Without that courage of those, of that red person, the the sort of outline in black, that those two people, two different colors, I wouldn't exist. So you were born in West Africa? Yeah, I was born in Liberia, West Africa. I was born there. Um, so I told people, I said, look, if I tell you my whole story, it's like that explains why a West African, I'm American now, but a West African was born to West African parents in West Africa, and yet I'm part Irish Native American. That's crazy. That is, <laughs> that's, that's one of those things where like, I, <laughs> I I did my ancestry and uh, uh, I found out I am only white. So, <laughs> but you got to say, okay, well, what come, what makes up white? Cause if you dig deeper into it, you'd be like, Oh wow. Oh you yeah. Yeah. But as far back as I can go, I'm fairly certain I'm like fourth generation American because yeah. <sighs> Somewhere in Poland, somewhere in Ireland, it's a little, you, you know what I mean? I know, yeah. I'm sorry, not Ireland, somewhere in Norway, Poland, yeah. Norway, uh, and then German somewhere. I don't even know, man. I'm a mutt. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So let's just talk about this. So you, you're an entrepreneur, right? In a sense. Yeah. So you're an entrepreneur. You're kind of on a voyage of discovery in a way that you're curious about things, right? So your ancestry includes people who left a very harsh, inhospitable land to go out. I'm here by seeing Vikings to go out and see what's over there. Right. Oh, and as a res- part, as a result of that, there some of them was at least one of them was successful, and you you exist. Yeah. Because he had the courage to he or she had the courage to find out what's out there. Yeah. And they passed that on to you. The you know the, I mean I'm just saying it's like. Who are you? We always think of like, that's one of the things I don't like about American society is like we tend to only go back uh, like to the, it's like the nuclear family. A lot of times we get cut off from our 
grandparents and their grandparents kind of because America is like a mobile society, like you move around, you go to different places, whatever. And even the way the country started is because people were migratory. They came from wherever, even the Native Americans, technically, they walked across the land bridge. Yeah, right? that is what right. that is one of my favorite things to like remind people is yeah. like, look, everything started here and then it kind of came up and around and down. And then every, yeah. that's how you have everybody came here from somewhere else. So right. this place has always been a melting pot. But because of that, it's kind of in our DNA as Americans is cutting off the past and kind of starting fresh. Well, then you kind of lose some of the the um, the infrastructure, the connective tissue, the bones, the bone structure that makes that reminds you of who you are and why you have the strength to do the things you do. Because, like I said, when I just told you the thing about if you like think about that, I mean, look, it doesn't seem like it's the same thing as jumping into a long ship and going out into the ocean. But it's also probably terrifying to you in a certain way, too. Right. So, yeah, it's like you can draw strength. Like, hey, if my ancestor could do this, I can do this. You know? Yeah, it is one of those things thinking about it in perspective, like, do I approach somebody about my podcast and, you know, this ancestor of mine moved to a whole nother country? Like, it's yeah. not really the same. I can go yeah. and do that. So exactly. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I've talked to my wife about, too, is how much it does seem in America, we lose ancestral culture, we lose. Yeah. And in some ways, it's a good thing. You know, maybe there's yeah. some oh, things yeah. that deserve to be forgotten and remodeled. But then there's other things where it's like, you kind of want to know where you came from. And it's very hard to do that, especially in America. Yeah, because I mean, over here, we also have the tendency to not get pigeonholed into, I'm only going to do what my dad did. Yes. You know? And that's a so good thing. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that's good. So anyway, I, I just think that it's, um, it, it makes it feel, I'm a storyteller. I'm sure everybody can tell by now, uh, you know, and I, I think it's one of those things where I'm interested genuinely in hearing the stories of people, which is also part of how I do what I do, because what do I end up doing? I tell stories, right? You know, I'm why you, you listen to me do a commentary on a live stream and I'm telling you the stories of the athletes as I meet them and discover things about them. I immediately start to tell you this, tell the viewer their story because right. at heart, at heart, I'm a storyteller. Yes. And, and you, you're better at it than me, man. I, <laughs> my wife all the time get to the point. Get to the yeah. point, too long, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah. that's one You're of the good things. You're a listener, though. I, dude, dude, I, I love, I love. I'm, I'm sort of like you. I, I love to hear people's story and what they have to say. And that's sort of like, I, kind, I started the podcast as a way to like, just kind of BS with my friends, and it kind of evolved. I've only been doing it for a little over a year, but it, it evolved into like, now I had on a band, a punk band from, you know, uh, Pennsylvania. Because I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm not doing that. So then I meet you, and I'm not doing what you do. So I want to hear about what it yeah. is that you do. And then it turned into more of that. Turned into Star Wars and and strength sports history and all sorts of things. And yeah. that's sort of where I, I love to see how conversations evolve. And uh, I've also always been a talker. It's what I got in trouble <laughs> for most in school. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's gonna be. I mean, I, I I enjoy this. I enjoy the. The experience, I mean, that's another thing I look at like with Garage Gym Life is we're a connective, a connective force because like I said, when I first started doing this, man, you didn't have, um, well, social media didn't exist. So you didn't really have a way to know that there are other people out there doing this. 
And so one of the things I wanted to do was create a community atmosphere and show people that others were doing it successfully, which is why I was posting regular people. It wasn't because I just said, oh, I want to tell regular people stories. It's because I was like, well, it's one thing to see the exceptional person doing the thing. That doesn't really motivate me right. to do it, right? Um, it can inspire me, but it doesn't motivate me because I'm inspired to do it, but it doesn't make me believe I can do it. So why I'm trying, I can watch Superman fly all day, but I ain't jumping out the window. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, well, that's, wow, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> that's it. Right. Yeah, you not, got it, bud. I'm not on Amazon looking for wingsuits. I'm not doing it. Right. Oh, so, oh you know? no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's, it motivates people when you see somebody who has similar goals, similar backgrounds to try to do what you know, to what they're to, and it makes you want to do what you do, what you want to do and aspire to do. And so that's part of how Garage Gym Life, again, started, because I started trying to show people just because, you know, this guy is doing a, um, a strongman and this guy's doing powerlifting and this woman is doing CrossFit and this guy is a bodybuilder and this woman is uh, doing pole fitness. And three out of the people I just mentioned kind of do kettlebells, but one of them is really into it they're all united by the fact that they're in a home gym of some kind. Right. And I know it's garage gym life, but it's because I happen to be in a garage. If my gym was on my back deck, I'd probably call it back deck life. If I, you know what I mean, sir, it's just, yeah. that's what will happen, you know, shed gym life or something like that. Right. So the idea is that you are kind of alone, even if you train with other people, initially this was your idea. So it's like, all right, I'm kind of like blazing this trail that a lot of people thought couldn't be done. Because I remember people saying, you can't be serious about whatever strength sport you claim to be into if you don't go join a gym. You got, so right. how many times have people said, you need to have a team around you if you wanna be successful? Right. You know, you need, you need to um, have people to hold you accountable. You need to have people who watch you to tell you um, when you hit depth or not. You need to have people around you for safety. I'm not saying those things aren't valid. I'm just saying it's possible to do it. But yeah. now you think about it, you got like a newborn and you're working 12 hour, 13, 14 hour days. You Now I got to go spend, my wife is at the house with a newborn. So I go to work, work all that time. And then instead of coming home and helping her with the baby, I'm going to go spend two hours at the local powerlifting or strongman gym or CrossFit box building connections with my tribe there instead of at home helping my wife, man, I feel like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man, because one of the biggest issues that I ran to ran into I, my oldest son is five years old. Um, and one of the, one of the things that, uh, we ran into, when do we work out? You know what I mean? Because then that means the babysitter has to keep the baby longer um, or I'm going to go work out if the baby's asleep, well, then I'm cutting into my sleep time and, you know, yep. my, my health and my patience as a person. Cause I, man, I rely, I know some people, some people are the sleepless elite. They can get by on four hours of sleep yeah. and they're solid. Not me. They're, they're aliens. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Want to DNA test those people. They're <laughs> actually proof that the UFOs exist and that I, space force <laughs> is failing. 
<laughs> because if Spaceports was doing its job, the Coast Guard, you know the Coast Guard's working, right? Because right. we haven't been invaded by another country. Space Force, what are you doing? Because yeah. I know the aliens here. Exactly. I need, I need, <laughs> I need eight hours of sleep every night with my CPAP on the entire night. Right. Man, and and on a side note, because you were talking about the CPAP thing with the strongman, I've had sleep apnea since I was five. I just yeah. thought it was normal for people to stop breathing in their sleep. And then my dad was like, uh, no, 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 most no, of us don't, don't do that. No, you should definitely breathe the entire time you're sleeping. So then, man, I'm telling you, that, that changed my life. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, so then uh, we, you know, I told my wife, I said, look, if we're going to buy a house, it's got to have a garage. It's got to have a bonus room, this and that. Those are my specifications. So we got the garage and I was like, I'm putting a gym in here. It was like from the beginning, I was like, cause I'm, I'm tired of going to commercial gyms. I'm tired of people being around me. I'm tired of the deadlift platform being used up. I want mm-hmm. my own deadlift platform, my own squat rack, my own rules. No, you can't deadlift on this floor. Like I, I hated that. Right. So now I'll deadlift wherever the hell I want because yeah. this is mine and I don't have to go anywhere and my, I can bring my best son gym, in. Best gym in town. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and that's another thing too. When I started that's another, so one thing that kind of separates the pre pandemic from the post pandemic era <laughs> is pre pandemic, a lot of gyms. Well, no, before 2010, uh, maybe that's wrong. 2007, 2008, maybe. All right, so in roughly around the time of the first CrossFit Games, which is in 2007, Greg Greg Lassman wrote, uh, Greg Lassman founded CrossFit. So he wrote an article for the CrossFit Journal, and it may still be on the main site, but it's called The Garage Gym. And that's what started the original big wave of people wanting to work out in their garages because you had all these people getting into CrossFit and they're like, well, I can't afford the box fee but I, or maybe I want to train more often than I can at the box. And so started that's so rogue fitness came around and you started having like companies like fringe sport and whatever, providing equipment for people who are going to train in their garages. Right. Right. Well, prior to that, gyms didn't let you take kids there because there's a uh, liability associated with having children in the gym. Even if you have like a, daycare area there's still liability what if the kid hurts himself in the gate trying to get out yeah right so there's liability so a lot of gyms didn't want to deal with that so they're like we're not letting you have your kids in here right even if it's a key gym and it's 24 hours we see you on cameras with kids we'll put you out especially if the kids damage something you lose your membership yeah refundable right all right so then gym started to allow people to drop off they started having childcare to a limited extent when CrossFit started pulling people into the garage gyms in their home gyms because they had to compete. They said, oh, 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 wait, 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 we'll let you bring your kids, but only during these hours or whatever, right? And then um, they may or they may outsource it to a daycare babysitting service or something like that. But again, it still goes back to you're out of the house all day. Yeah. And maybe you don't want to, you know, your kids out of the house all day. And now you get them home. Now you got to, so let's say you do your normal training session and let's say it's an hour and a half, which may or may not be the case, depending on what sort of situation you have at the gym, because some of that hour and a half is changing clothes. It's working around other people using the equipment, and everything else. So you might be in there for a long time. 
Then you got to drive all the way back to your house, however long that takes. You got to get the kids back in the car, get the kids home, get them in, showered or whatever. You got to shower yourself. Let's think about what we're going to feed them for dinner, get them settled. Okay. That's a process. If you're at home, you don't have to deal with all that. Right. And so since the pandemic, though, so many people started having home gyms that I see more gyms willing to kind of bend a little bit with the kid thing because they want you to come back. They want you to come back. And remember how um, it's always sounds like I'm knocking public gyms when I say this. My first job out of college was at a public gym. I, I value what they do. Okay. But understand that a lot of the fitness industry is run by the public gym industry because I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's run by the public gym industry because if I'm a gym owner and I paid money for all of this equipment that I might be leasing, I got to have members who mm-hmm. pay their membership. I don't actually care if all of you come and I would prefer if all of you didn't come. I would prefer if you actually pay for the membership, but never showed up because I can only fit so many people in here anyway. And if you go to a, I've done this myself. If you go into a public gym and around and you have some time, go, don't go around rush hour, but if you go at a, if you go when it's relatively quiet, you can look at the layout and see how we, the gym is set up to funnel you in. So I'm making a horseshoe with my hand. It's designed to funnel you into the gym and back out. Right. Yeah. So that's how they lay out the machines. So you're working your body parts, you're doing whatever is designed to funnel you in and send you back out. Because at rush hour, people are going to come in, they're going to jump on the stuff that's the easiest to use and quickest because they've only got, let's say, an hour. So I got to get you all 100 of you in and out quickly. Same thing at night. You got to get you in and out quickly or else fire marshal is going to come over and shut me down because all y'all are in here and it's it's tight right so one way to get around that is to make the gym bigger but if the gym is too big then 50 people in a small space looks like a lot it looks crowded and people want to go there because it's fear of missing out 50 people in a very large warehouse space looks like nothing now nobody wants to go there because they're like hell that place is a ghost town i just don't like the energy in there yeah right so i made so i'm crowded so i gotta make the place bigger well now it doesn't look as crowded anymore and so people don't want to come in here so as a gym owner your best your middle ground is you just set up the equipment so it funnels you in and out. Right. And you hope that a lot of people don't show up at all. So during the pandemic, when they were saying, hey, just because you're at home doesn't mean you should stop paying your gym membership. Because the gym needs your money to stay alive. Yeah, I get it and I understand it. But I'm also saying, are you crazy? That's yeah. like me renting. That's like me buying a car. I'm sorry, leasing a car, but never driving it. Yeah. Would you pay rent on an apartment that you don't live in? Absolutely not. Okay. So why do you <laughs> want me to rent equipment, but, <laughs> but not use it? Yeah. You know what I mean? So people talk about the cost of a, a home gym. And I'm just like, look at this. To me, if I train three days a week and I paid you money, I actually paid you for seven days. Yeah. I paid rent for seven days, but I only used it three days. Yeah. And in the end, in the end, the amount of money you would save home gyms are where it's at, especially if you have the space and the organization and the, and just the can do attitude, because man, I could send you a picture of what it looked like when I first started versus what it is now. And I granted 
my wife has had a lot to do with the come up because when, when I started, I was like, this is my dungeon. And then she came in and was like, I can't see anything. We need better lighting. And I was like, no, we don't need it. We put it in. I was like, Man, oh, you're right. Seeing is kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, my wife is the reason is responsible for a lot of the aesthetic changes that we've made. Um, because like, I'm, you know, I, I could do that dungeon thing as well. And yeah. then also too, because like, if you guys look at us stuff on YouTube, um, garage and Light media, if you look at our stuff on YouTube and it's my gym, it's essentially a recording studio. So it can't look like, too trashed or whatever exactly so like i'm nitpicky about picking stuff up off the floor i hate seeing stuff on the floor also i train barefoot so i don't i'm not a fan of stuff on my toes so i make stuff is up on the wall and it's out of the way and stuff. <laughs> you know what i mean so it's just like you know and yeah. i i mean I, again that goes back to the martial arts background we did everything barefoot so i'm comfortable training barefoot and i want to be able to transition from this to this and you know, I don't want to have to change this special shoe for this special shoe for the. Yeah, that's good. That's for strong man. Yeah, I, did, <laughs> I ain't doing all that. I just changed. I mean, even powerlifting does it. You got one shoe for deadlifting, one shoe for bench pressing, one shoe for squats. Yeah. So like my my ideal bench press shoe has a heel on it to help me with my arch. Yeah. Whereas my squat ideal squat shoe has a little bit of cushion, but it's flat. And it has reinforced seams on the sides. And my ideal deadlift shoe has a very thin sole and reinforced on the sides because yeah. of the way I deadlift. So I could do that, you know, whatever. But yeah. Anyway, that's also a tangent. But y'all knew what you were getting <laughs> into when by this time, right? <laughs> of course. When we started out talking about not garage gyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of which, though, we have been going for, shoot, going on three hours Yep. Uh, so pleasantly surprised longer than I expected. Uh, but we also have a garage tour to do for you. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, we cleaned up, especially for the video. Oh, so, wow. Oh I yeah. I should have uh, worn the good cologne. <laughs> <laughs> I did wear the good cologne. Oh, wow. There you yeah. go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up here and move over to your side of it. Uh, yeah. I'll go ahead and end it for the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you so sure. much for everything that you do in the garage gym community and the streaming, you know, services you do and, uh, your, your services are awesome and, and you're extremely awesome. I enjoy this conversation. Thank you, man. Um, and I know this is, this is the, self, uh, what do you call it? I don't know call it shameless plug, but of, please, of course, the number one thing that anybody who likes what we're doing or is interested in our stuff is number one, follow us on Instagram at Garage Gym Life. Follow, subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, and that is Garage Gym Life Media. And at both of those places, or you can go to garagegymlifemedia.com and you will find the link to our magazine called the Garage Gym Life Weekly. And that basically is like, it's almost like a TV guide. So it's got articles in it, but it also tells you about all the stuff that we're doing every week. We, it comes out and it tells you everything that we're doing that week, the previous week and the coming week. And it's quite a bit of stuff. So that's uh, those are the three num- number one ways to support us. And you also can obviously grab a banner if you go to garagegymlifemedia.com. we got a little link for there. Um, There's a banner. It's not a flag. It's a banner. And I actually have a an ad coming out where I explain why we go with banners instead of flags. But so thank you again for having me, please. If nothing else, whatever your platform is, 
just support Garage from Life and tell people about us. Thank you guys for having me. And I will tag you in every single description as well. So everyone will have a clickable at because uh, God knows that's the easiest thing, man. That's it. Thank you. (laughs) But all right, man. Thank you so much. 